Welcome back. Uh, back after a day off, we took a long weekend, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, which uh, we took Monday off. And, and the reason why we did it is, and I'm going to be honest with you, we're already moving to the four-day work week. Um, and a lot of talk <laughs> about it in the news. A lot of people out there, punditry about the four-day work week. Should we? Shouldn't we? Is it I beneficial? It is it not? No. Uh, so I'm moving to a four day work week. We're all moving here to a four day work week. Uh, might be a Monday. We'll chisel off. Maybe we'll shave off a Friday here or there. But just so you know, we're moving to a four day work week in total. Just so you no, know. No, we won't. You're right. Because you'll get excited and you'll go, we're doing a show. We're doing oh. it. And then you'll call me and go, are you ready? I know. I know. Get your support local glory holes t-shirt on. Let's go. <laughs> that is Lachlan Cross, 957 Cruise FM in Edmonton. He's the morning show host. You can listen to him every weekday morning, 957cruisefm.ca, uh, at Lachlan Cross on Twitter. And my name is Dean, and uh, it's all misspelled there. But who really gives a shit? I don't give a shit. Uh, I got a semicolon in my name for some reason, which is weird. Speaking that of colons, colonoscopy next week. I got my first one. Just Yo, so you know. do you? Yeah, I yeah. haven't done that yet. Yeah, 52. You're supposed to do it at 50. I turned 50 in like February, so I'm like, Eh, well, I, get a colonoscopy. I said to my doctor, yeah, I said to my doctor, I said, do I need to get the old camera up the, the old hoop? And, oh. um, I don't know if it was COVID or something. He said, no, you're not the one I'm worried. I'm, I'm not worried about you at all. Mm. So I, yeah, but we, we were talking you, about, is that, is, is that seriously what he said? He's, yeah. <laughs> he said, I'm not worried about you. So you go in there and you're like, uh, and do your doctor's appointment. You're like, should I be having a call? I got to bring you anytime up. soon. I'm over the age of 50. And he's like, eh, don't worry about it. It's the not comforting in, to hear from your doctor. My wife is bothered by this mark on my face. So I got to go yeah. back to the doctor. So maybe when I go back to get this mole, this growth on my face looked at, I will ask him I to check have, the hoop. I'll yeah. have uh, the, the colonoscopy conversation to see well, if should. I'm ready for it. We had an interesting conversation this morning. How much the do you Collins? think your your poo weighs? Well, when? Like after a night of heavy eating or after a whole bunch of metamucil and some trail mix? Like when? Yeah, like a normal day. Like on average, what does your poo? What, like? Well, that's a great question. I have weighed myself after a bowel movement. Um, almost a pound. Uh, so I would say just under a pound. Generally speaking, depending on your diet, how you eat, because you know it's yeah. very subjective, right? Like I, I'm a big fan of the anus. So this, uh, the the anus thrives on neglect. You got to pay attention to the anus. We heard that last week from the butt doctor yeah. from New Zealand. Remember? Because so it really this, depends. This woman got arrested on the weekend delivering, um, fifty pounds of human feces to the police station, and I'm speculating that she she collected it on her own and um and that and that it took we did the math we did poo math like, yeah because you're how many poops one poo if you're a bigger guy you can get a pound out eh um and if you're just a normal person it's usually a quarter pound so that's so 50 pounds and you're pooing four times mm -hmm. like that's 200 poos and I think she pooed in a bucket, like she took it down in five, five gallon pails. 
Mm-hmm. I think she was pooing in a bucket and then deli- and then delivered that. And I think she did it on her own. That's 200 days. And I was trying to convince the guys that she needed to get some credit for the commitment to the, to the process. But she does. And that's then, someone who that's premeditated. If I've ever heard premeditated. Yeah. You're collecting your turds, like 200, 200 turds at a time, right? Like 200 visits we'll to the bathroom couple, at a time. She What's may that? have had a couple that were closer to a pound. So we'll cut that down to like 175. That's still 175 days of pooing. Well, like not that, days because she might have had a, she might have had like a big day on a Thursday, right? Where it's, where it was a two pounder yeah. in in three different movements. The collection yeah. process would be interesting. This is the lady you're talking about, correct? Her name's Mindy Stevens. Yeah, she yeah. looks like somebody that would spend a good half a year shitting in buckets to take to the police station. How old? Yeah, how old do you think old Mindy Stevens is here? How old? Take a guess. I give Mindy. Well, listen. The sun's no, no, hot just take a Texas. guess. I don't want to, I don't want any deliberation. Hot. Like just a yeah. quick, how old does she look? 48. Close, 46. Yeah, yeah. She looks like she's 65. Cops said an officer went out front to investigate the police station because there was a big there are three five-gallon buckets weighing 50 pounds. And he's like, This looks like shit. So some of the cops put on hazmat suits, went out and said, Yeah. Yeah, that, that's human shit. That's poo. And that's, so they got yeah. they got they they checked the cameras, got the woman's license plates. Indeed, yeah, this is a great story. This woman um, spent several months. It's <laughs> shitting in a bucket, uh, shitting and urinating, pooping and urinating in buckets. Okay, and, so so and you got gotta- she delivered the the waste stew to the police station because apparently she had had several run-ins with the police um well, believe I it or not this isn't her I, first run-in with the cops by the way just so you know i don't think i don't think anybody was thinking that she was doing it yeah as a favor to them like it wasn't like hey just in case you need some fertilizer i made my own that what kind of thing what are you doing what are you doing ma'am i'm bringing you a present officer Speaking of presence, speaking of weirdness, we have a big show for everybody today. Former neo-Nazi is going to be on the show with us today to talk about their radicalization into Nazism, out of Nazism. Yes. Uh, Karima is going to join us today because she's friends with this person and their story is fascinating. So we're going to cover a whole bunch of that. That'll be interesting. Uh, nowhere near as interesting as the predilection this woman has to poop in five gallon buckets, but whatever. Um, and the other thing that kind of is starting to grind people's gears and listen, I'm no hunter. I've hunted. I've shot things. I've eaten the things that I've shot and I've not eaten the things that I've shot. Shot isn't a word. I do understand that. I was getting carried away. But as we sit here in this beautiful country of Canada, before we get to our neat former neo-Nazi and Karima, who are going to jump on the show, I... I'm taken aback by this Carrie Price stuff. Are you paying attention to this? You guys talk about it on the show this morning. We did. I tried to weigh in on it because I hard do, to do. I, uh, it is because um, I was actually even suggesting. Well, I, it wasn't. I. It's not like I was sympathetic to Carrie Price or Hunters, but I was 
I was presenting a position of what I thought might be common sense to the approach of, of yeah. gun control in the country. But I did start by saying you don't. And, and whenever you do this, you always open yourself up to scrutiny because uh -huh. there's always the gun guys out that are like, you don't even know what a fucking AR-15 is. Uh -huh. And of course, I, I don't. I don't. And um, but it is generally the one that people reference when they reference a a, a a gun that is used to do as much damage, to inflict as much damage as possible weapon. in a short yeah. period of time. Yeah. Right? So AR doesn't stand for a sight rifle, you fucking idiot. You don't know what the fuck you're talking about. That guy. Right? Yeah. 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 That guy. So I anyway, guy. this morning I said, hey, listen, I, I, I think the problem that we have in our country is that you can't have this conversation. Um, and the federal government does not have a very good reputation when it comes to dealing with the, the gun community. Um, they, they boot after the, um, the, the, the long gun registry that cost millions of dollars and it ended up being completely pointless. Um, and then what I did say was though, I said, I think when you are, when, when you're going through a, a process like this, I think they should have started by bringing in some gun guys and saying, all right, listen, here's the list. Is there anything on this list that doesn't make any sense? And if that's the case, then that, that let's have the conversation. And the reason why I don't disagree with what they're trying to do is because at the end of the day, I think here's my position on it. I don't care who you are, where you live, where you came from, you are never going to convince me that you need an AR-15. You don't need that gun. If you're a hunter, you need a rifle. I can wrap my head around the idea that you need a rifle. Or a shoddy, as they call them. Or, or a shotgun. I don't think people, this is my opinion, and a lot of people are going to disagree with me. I don't think you need a handgun. No, that no just, one does. I just no don't think you do. But no. the issue is, if you're a gun guy and you like shooting guns, you're gonna have then you're probably angry about this idea no. that they're trying to do this. because. Yes. And then the they're argument angry. stems from, they're not actually getting rid of guns. You're not making the country safer. So there's that argument. Let's, let's put that not aside. Yeah. I think what you end up doing with this collection of guns yeah. and getting rid of guns that are unnecessary for hunting, hunting, in my opinion, mm -hmm. I think what you do is you also add to the equation. We're going to go out of our way to do a better job of getting rid of illegal guns that are coming into the country. Like adding because, that to the mix. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because that is a good point. Like, responsible gun owners in this country are, have a very good point. Yeah. We don't I, have a mass shooting um, culture and no. we don't have a mass shooting problem in Canada. We have a crime problem. And when you take a look at the, the guns that are used in crimes in major markets in this country, generally speaking, and I don't know what the numbers are, but generally speaking, they are illegal guns that were smuggled into the country from the United States of America or other. It's other Almost correct, kind of incorrect. They're illegal guns in terms of they've been stolen. 
So something in the neighborhood of 60%, 70% of all gun-related crimes, specifically in Quebec, are from stolen guns, whether illegal stolen guns coming from the United States, stolen guns in Canada, they're stolen weapons. So the idea is, let's take the let's take a bunch of inventory out of the market, right? Let's give people less of an excuse to go steal guns, all that other stuff. Which, but which to your point, which again does make sense. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, because I kind of agree with the idea that hey, listen, let's limit the number of guns in Canada. Yeah, and 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 well, especially and again, guns that are just meant for one purpose, which is killing a human being. Like, I, well, fuck, I, exactly. an AR-15 and a handgun and assault weapons, and you know the the, the semi-autos with big clips and magazines and. I, great. I yeah, th- n- no use. But let's backtrack and kind of set the table a little bit. Canada wants to rejig our gun restrictions. In Canada, if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, you're not Canadian, or if you are Canadian, you don't understand this. Uh, there, we do not have a protected amendment to our constitution or charter of rights that says no. you are allowed to own a weapon. It is a privilege. It is in the 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 the, the charter. It is it is part of our laws that have governed this land for hundreds of years. Is that gun ownership is not a federally protected right. It is a privilege, and they can take that privilege away from you at any time. So let's just set that table. Trudeau comes in with this new thing, Bill Twenty One. Uh, Bill C-21, it, it's uh, basically a handgun restriction, 1,500 assault rifles, whole bunch of different weapons, including handguns and uh, modification abilities to keep magazine clips under five, I believe, and no powerful weapons over, I think it's like 10,000 joules, if I'm not mistaken. What that means, I don't understand. However, I will say this, is that there are a lot of really angry hunters, and I get it, right? Because what they've done is They've hustled this through, which is what Trudeau does. They hustle in like this policy that says we're going to restrict yeah. guns. Most of us are like, yeah, fuck, restrict guns because we're not a gun country. Very few people outside of mega cities here in this country or bigger cities have weapons. But a lot of people, because it's very rural, they do and they use it for hunting and they're all very responsible by and large. But we want to take guns that are too powerful or meant to kill people out of circulation. So there's that. Now, Kerry Price, Montreal Canadiens, legendary goaltender, weighed in. <laughs> and it caused a problem. And he did this three days ago. Today is the 33rd anniversary of the massacre of 14 women at Ecole Polytechnique in Montreal. Okay? Keep that in mind. So, Carrie puts this post out a couple of days ago. The post, which is interesting, is Carrie on his Instagram saying, quote, I love my fam." Now, keep in mind, Carrie hasn't put anything on social media for months. He doesn't play for the Canadians right now. He's on LTIR. Uh, he has don't think uh, been dealing again. with some significant substance abuse and therapy issues. Uh, and we've all supported him, and I continue to support this man in his journey to wellness. Okay, let me just put that out there. Uh, I think he. I don't think he'll play again. I don't think Honestly. he will. And I. But yeah. I think it's twofold. So Kerry puts this out. Quote: I love this on Instagram. Love my family. Love my country. I care for my neighbor. I am not a criminal or a threat to society. You remember the stock way that they were they were doing these things during the mandate where it's like, and Trudeau says, I'm a fringe minority. Remember that? Like, I love my family. I got a job. I work hard. Trudeau yeah. says I'm a threat. Yeah. It's yeah. in the same vein. So yeah. you've got some issues there. I don't know what, Carrie, where he got the format. Maybe he got it from his buddy, Theo. I don't know. But he says, I'm not a threat to society. What Justin Trudeau is trying to do is unjust. I support the... Canadian Coalition of Firearm Rights to keep my hunting tools. Thanks for listening to my opinion. Now, that created all kinds of pain points for Carey Price, not just Carey Price, but the Montreal Canadians who put this out. 
On the verge, on the eve of the National Day of Remembrance and Action, Violence Against Women, we reflect on the lives that were shattered 33 years ago in one of the worst mass shootings in Canadian history. This is, of course, the Ecole Polytechnique, uh, where this incel walked into an engineering class and killed a whole bunch of women because he wasn't, yeah. uh, he didn't make the grade to get into the class. Uh, and I remember this like it was yesterday. You do too, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it was just yeah. shocking back in the days. 33 years ago, what were I? I was 16 when this shit happened. It was just like, fucking mind-blowing to me so the insensitivity of the timing of it the insensitivity of carrie price with a gun the insensitivity of carrie price uh being in montreal and being a canadian where that massacre is revered as one of the worst events in montreal's history and rightfully Mm -hmm. so where women were targeted is this has created another issue because uh, last week the canadian coalition of firearms rights holders the cc uh, CCFR, uh, who he said showed support, had a promo code to take 10% off you buying bullets, guns, flak jackets, vests, equipment to shoot things, go hunting. Uh, and the promo code for, for the CCRF, CCFR was poly. So these people clearly don't care about the massacre 33 years ago. These people clearly don't care. And Carrie Price is caught up and he's in the middle of it. Now, Carrie says he had no idea. He put out a post yesterday. He's like, I didn't I didn't agree with the promotional code either, said he didn't know it, said his views are his own and he believes them. The only reason I bring up this issue is because it's what's been brought up now and not out of disrespect to anybody. He wants to keep his guns. And then he goes on to say, I continue to stand beside my fellow hunters, sport shooters who have legally acquired our property and use it in a safe manner. That is a very fucking serious point here. Okay. Now, there is outrage to be had. There is terrible timing. The Canadians are very upset with him and apologized on his behalf. Kerry has since come out and also apologized and said, listen, I don't know if you know this, but I I didn't know about the the massacre and I wasn't top of mind when I put it out. Totally understand how it was irresponsible of me. And I'm very sorry if I offended anybody. So he's kind of tried to walk part of that back, but the pain is still there, right? Like, this is a very serious issue for a lot of people. Uh, a yeah. lot of people have been affected by gun violence in a very negative way. And you got Carrie Price standing there with a massive shotgun. It's a duck shooter, right? He just and this, but but Carrie Price also and his entire family grew up. He's uh, he's indigenous. Yeah. His mother was a chief. They've lived in the bush. They've survived off of Williams Lake, Columbia. right? Uh, I don't know if it's Williams Lake's Northern British Columbia. It might be Williams Lake. Um, I, I think so. Yeah, he's from the interior of BC. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and there's something to be said here about not just people who use these guns responsibly, but there's also something to be said for the confusion that gun rights owners and real responsible activists that use these for hunting, for real hunting uh, left in the lurch because this bill doesn't identify which guns the government might take. And they snuck in an amendment at the last second saying, Oh, yeah. And if it's super powerful, we're going to have a look at almost any gun, no matter what the gun is. And so you've got these hunters out there. You've got outdoors people out there. You've got people that partake in sustainable living by hunting and shooting their food going. Yeah. Are you fucking serious right now? Like, just, just can you just tell us what we're doing? Are you coming for our guns? And like COVID, the ambiguity that's out there, the inability to actually say, here's exactly what we're going to do. Um is lost on a lot of of people and it's fucking Trudeau and this government's fault. 
I applaud yeah. gun activism. I applaud the fact that we're trying to get rid of firearms. I applaud it. I really do. Much like I applaud Carey Price for standing there going, listen, my family has hunted on these lands for hundreds of years and we're responsible people. And I also think Carey Price probably doesn't know, like everybody else, what he's talking about in terms of what guns might be taken away from him. Well, right? so there's no, that no. possibility as well. No, there there are some guns that have ended up on the list that um that are used for hunting. That mm. that's 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 been highlighted. And that's why they're walking it back a bit. That's why the federal government is saying, "Hey, listen." As they should. We we are going to look at the guns that have been brought to to um brought to our attention and then we're going to reevaluate the list. Yeah. Um so I think I think the basis of his concern that there is some there. That's the problem, right? Because if you believe strongly in in this bill um and you're a proponent of it, then and you might not give Carrie Price or a gun owner the the time of day. And then um let's say you are a responsible gun owner you t- you take this as a front and and you're being attacked. Like this morning I literally brought up I think they should have added to this plan a more concerted and I do know that there are there is a a a segment of the police force in parts of the country that's that is very dedicated to smuggling illegal weapons into Canada and they do get a lot. I I saw something the other day where they they uh they caught a bunch of uh, weapons coming into I yeah, think it was Quebec or was well, it Toronto? In Toronto? They had a massive. It was called Operation Barbell. I think they had like yeah. about a hundred handguns that they captured yes. from illegally coming into the country. Yeah, so and we should be doing that. Th- yeah, and but I think they should have put that out as part of the plan, right? Yeah. Um, and again, there is going to be an element of the population. Um, I think I've talked about Donald before, who I don't, I'm pretty sure it's not even his real name. Donald just fights. He just gets up and he's angry every morning and is yelling at me for whatever I say. Um, so I'm glad I provide him some, some sense of, of, you know, is Donald a, a fictional name for no Donald is an actual texter that we get on oh, the locker room and just, we were fighting about Donald Mike. like you're using your the missus like is it no 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 Donald really gave it to me today no oh, Donald I, is a have... real dick but I don't know if that's his actual name that's all hmm. anyway um he was yelling at me you don't know what a fucking AR-15 is you should shut your pie hole I'm like I'm just I brought up that as a reference point because I truly yeah. believe that, that I mean, and I've said this to friends of mine that own guns, I looked them right in the eye and go, you don't need that gun. You, there, there's no way you will ever convince me that you need that gun. I'm sorry. I don't care what your background is. You don't need it. Yeah. If you're a hunter and you have a rifle and you use that to go out once or twice a year, that I can wrap my head around. And those people are generally the most cautious that the hunters are the most responsible gun owners it's i say this all that there's probably a couple of bad apples in the in the bunch but i say I this imagine. all the time too about being on the roads i mean the thing about being on the roads like generally speaking if you're brave enough to get on a bike and drive a motorbike you're probably one of the safer drivers on the road do they get credit for that i doubt it right because there's 
and there's that one guy that's weaving through traffic on a crotch rock. I think there's more than one guy like that, by the way. There's I mean, more than most one of guy, the guys right? you see that do that. Yeah. Yeah. Usually on a little crotch rocket. But anyway, I want to just open up my door when those guys go by and I can see them coming up the middle. I'd do it. Anyway, I'd do it. I'm going to do it with this car, maybe, because it's an old car. The problem is, is those guys are fighting that those responsible, not all of them, some of them, some of the gun owners Mm -hmm. are are fighting back about the bill as a whole. This is the thing. I don't, it doesn't matter what side, whatever side of this you're on, right? Like, because it, it, it's, I, I've watched people sewer Carey Price, who I thought was like a hockey deity up until this point, right? Yeah. And he now he's been lumped in with Theo Fleury, who's literally off his fucking nut. Jamie yeah. Salet, who's insane. Uh, Dustin Penner, former oiler again. Something in the water out there. Pancakes. Dustin Penner, who's literally a fucking conspiracy ferret. Like, I'm watching. I didn't know that. Oh, fuck. He's one of the best. Dude, you got to. <laughs> I was reading, going through his timeline last night just because I was like, someone mentioned Dustin Penner in my timeline. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember him. He was like off his rock. He's like a weird club DJ who thinks like lizard people are out to get us and stuff like that. And that's fucking weird. I just remember. I went through his whole thing and I'm like, the pancake I'm thing. Like, I'm like, oh, my God. Oh my God, Dustin Penner is one of these guys too. But Carrie Price, let's get just deal with him. Carrie Price was just saying, I like guns. I like to hunt. My family's been doing it for a thousand years. You guys mm-hmm. are coming for me. Now, where did he get the message? Here's, here's a great question. Because Trudeau isn't coming for people's guns. He's restricting certain guns. And there's going to be a buyback pro- pro- program or portion of this. Now, having said that, I think Carrie's incredibly misinformed. I think Carrie is also entitled to be a responsible gun owner. And I think there are a lot of people out there who need to be heard when it comes to the weapons that they own, when -hmm. it comes to what they use them for. And if there are people and families and generations of individuals who like, listen, hunting is a big deal. Two of my buddies went duck hunting last week and they're like, you got to come with us. We do it every year. We've been doing it for 40 years, me and my family. I'm like, "Uh, sorry, I don't feel like sitting in the bush waiting for yeah. ducks to fly out and then ambushing them with a shotgun and hearing boom, go off in my ears. Just not my idea of a great time. I'm like, do you guys no. want to go to want to, you want to go to Denny's for the moons over my hammy instead? And they're like, no, it's we're going to solid go choice. Stuff. Yeah. You can't go I, wrong with moons over my hammy. No, no, you can't. Anyway, it's, yeah. it's a fascinating conversation because there are a lot of really good people out there that use this, these, these guns for the express purpose. And there are a lot of people out there that are really afraid of guns. And by, by and large, generally in Canada, most of us are. Most of us don't want to live in a gun culture. We see how gun culture plays out in the United States. And listen, the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights can suck my dick. Seriously. They're such a bunch of fucking losers. They are just a bunch of fucking money-hungry, angry, dumb, lawyerly shitheads like the NRA in the United States, and their only goal is is to put as many guns in the hands of as many Canadians as they can. So anything that they say, and, and to do a promo code, Polly last week, when this is the anniversary of the Ecole Polytechnique massacre, I mean, that tells you all you need to know about these people. But don't treat Carrie Price, who, by the way, was co-opted immediately after he came out, right? Co-opted by the entire movement. Some rebel news festering sword was like, 
I'm me too. I'm for Carey Price. She was from Quebec. And then Pierre puts it up and then Lanceman and the conservative machine and everybody gets around and they're like, Carey Price is one of us. That's what Theo Fleury was saying yesterday. Carey Price is one of us. And he might be. I don't know. But wait to find out before you fucking sewer the guy for crying out loud. Put all your attention well, on the CCFR. Put all your attention on assholes. Put all your attention on lobby groups and the political machine that keeps this narrative alive. Fuck them. But wait for Carrie Price. He apologized today, by yeah. the way. And I, yeah. that needs to I be would, said. Anyway, go ahead. The, the, one thing, the, the one thing that I'll just throw in there, and, and again, uh, I'm not doing this because I'm from Alberta, but I'm not sure... I trust, and, and I think this is part of the issue as well. Yeah. I don't think I trust this federal government to do this properly. I don't and, and I And I don't think that, I don't think the gun lobbyists or the hunters or anybody on either side of this equation um, should be comfortable with the fact that Justin Trudeau and his federal government is 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 the ones behind this unfortunately they're the only ones that will probably end up doing it unless the ndp got into power but i i don't think they are going to do a decent job and like we'll find anything and and this is this is a western canadian thing and and i'm aware of it so i always question it immediately right away Mm -hmm. um, because i do this as well We'll find anything to hang um, horns on Justin Trudeau. And this is one of those, th- I, I think you can do that with this particular issue based on his incompetence and the liberal government's incompetence in the past in handling this situation. They just didn't deal with it well, in my opinion. And it doesn't matter how they would have dealt with it. There would have been issues. But I mean, Everybody just looks for anything that you can you can do to put horns on them. Like I had one guy today texting me, and I don't know if there's any truth to this, but he was like, "Probably not." I said, "I said to him, I said I'm going to need you to show me some proof." But this is how the conversation went. These assholes are going to screw this up. Look what they did in the past. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. He says, "Not only that, they're going to they're coming for your guns. Not not only that, the the next." The next thing we're all going to find out is how they hung on to some of the some of the stuff from the Emergencies Act. It's still in play, <laughs> and I'm like, you need to send that to me. Yeah, yeah, send me because, all that information. Send yeah, because I I am pretty sure you're wrong there. Yeah, yeah. He's like, it was in the National Post. And I'm like, well, then it'll be easy to find because I can't. And it'll probably be a lie, too, because it's in the fucking National Post, which is literally owned by a U.S. hedge fund (laughs) called Chatham Asset Management. And all they do is lie. They lie for clicks and muddy on behalf of the fucking cabal. Well, apparently, the Emergencies Act is still in play. Okay. Um, Some of the things that they, and and the police have unlimited power and they will be coming to take. (laughs) everyone's freedoms away from them well that's i can't wait for that day which is why we need guns right that's that's his excuse it's why we need guns Mm. anyway um it is uh big day here we're gonna move on from the gun we're gonna talk about this in the coming days um but we like to make sense out of things it's like i'm trying to make sense of carrie price why he would wade into this maybe he's been bored he hasn't tweeted since april 9th of last year and this is what he chose no somebody somebody pulled him aside 
somebody pulled them aside and said, Hey, listen, you're a hunter, your family's hunters. We need you. And do you, I mean, listen, I, you, you know, what's going on here, right? Justin Trudeau is coming for your guns and we could use a figure. Like we could use your celebrity in this movement. That's what that was. Somebody from that organization. And make sure you tag us. Dude, I hope it wasn't though. I I really like Carrie Price. I really root for the guy. And if he got if he's bought into this, like if this is his pivot from hockey, is being a spokesperson for the fucking no the assholes no, that run the gun lobby in Canada. I don't ah, think it's I'm sad. Somebody knew sad. him. Somebody, a friend of a friend of a friend, said in that organization went, I know Carrie. I know his family. They're from Williams Lake. He'll tweet this. Yeah, but give dude, him a dude, call. he hasn't tweeted since he went into rehab. Exactly. Like, it's fucking unbelievable to me. It's like, anyway, it's fucking fascinating and keeping with fascinating things. Please welcome to the program once again, lawyer, journalist, Kareem Assad, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you're wearing the plaid today. It's plaid season. Nice to see you. It's, uh, you know, we good vibes. We got it. Yeah. Okay. You what know you what? Got? I always, whenever we get Kareem uh, yeah. on, I always think we're starting a painting class. Okay, everybody. <laughs> Get your easels out. <laughs> Today we're going to do uh, finger painting. Yeah, nice to see you. Um, you look fresh. You look great. Were you, were you, were you pandemicking with the Lugans this weekend out at Queen's Park again? I had a two for one, uh, actually. There was a yeah. rally on Saturday and one on Sunday. Um, so I got my fill of that. Um, and today was a good day. Was it? Oh. Why was today such a great day for you, Karima? I love learning things. Um, oh. And I'm learning lots of things, uh, just not to sound cryptic about it, but, you know, puzzle pieces are coming together. Um, mm-hmm. You talk about making sense of stuff uh, mm-hmm. and and just sometimes the chips fall and then in such a way that ah, I see the bigger picture. So I'm starting to see the bigger picture um, I'll leave it at that for now, but I feel good. Me too. I know you're, what you're vague talking booking. about, so I feel good for you. You're vague booking. You're vague potting. <laughs> she is vague potting. Yeah. But we don't need to tell people our secrets. We don't need to tell people how the sausage is made. We just want to have people on who can tell us how the sausage is made. And over the past, I would say, two years, no one's been closer to the crazies than you. Nobody. Like, I've been right up in there in that sausage. All yes. up in the guts of this <laughs> sausage. Um, and and you've, you've developed some really interesting relationships. You know, the way that I like to kind of explain Karima to people, they're like, what side is she on? I'm like, Karima's side. She's on Karima. She's on the, like, fucking, she's on the entertainment and truth side. That's what she's on. She's like, she's a documentarian. She is a, a truth teller. She's a truth seeker. That's what she does. I don't know anybody with better intentions. But... Uh, you you occupy this really interesting space where you go to these rallies and I mock them. I don't even fucking retweet them anymore. Sorry. It's just so crazy to me that people are still out there going, what about our freedom? And generally speaking, it ends with some guy in a cross and another guy talking about Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. And then there's a fight at the end of these things. But these things still happen and you do document them at Karina, Karima Rules on Twitter. Um, but how do you describe the space? Because you, you like, you're equally as kind to people and psychos on the extreme left as you are to the people on the extreme right. And I find that fascinating. Uh, I really try to approach everything from 
you know, a, a humanist perspective is maybe the best way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, the most disturbing part over the past two years has been the way that language is used to dehumanize people we disagree with and put them into silos. And it happens on all sides of the political spectrum. And I don't think it ever leads to anything good. Um, and, and calling something out, um, you know, is not the same as drawing an equivalency. Everyone is all the same. I see that uh, quite a bit. And, and the fringe left, the fringe right, it's not the same, but there are similarities. And if we're not able to talk about that in a meaningful way, then, mm. you know, what's the point? What are we doing here? Um, so, yeah. you know, t- to your to your question, right, how, how is, I, I don't believe that most people um, are, I, I, I think that very few people rather are irredeemable. Very, very few people are irredeemable. Um, and, and I think that everyone actually has inherent value, um, not in the same way and perhaps not to the same degree, but everyone has value. And so in conversing with people, that's, that's my starting point. Um, and, and I'm there, you know, to, to listen and to observe and to share what I find amusing at the rallies. Um, and, and, you know, now I'm starting to do that a little bit more with, uh, things that are happening in, in the digital realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you are. And, and, uh, I'm here for all of it. Um, one, sorry, lot, go ahead. Yeah, I just I want to add to that. I I, I really like Karima's approach, um, mm. and, and I think it needs to be um, highlighted as 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 a very unique position and one that I think we should all sort of be we should all sort of be going after, like trying to achieve. Because I've been saying this for quite a few years. Because you see. Uh, and 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 my my from my vantage point being somebody that's firmly in the middle and 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 agreeing with left things and right things seeing the damage they both do to their own cause by Imagine. how they interact with each other it, and the hypocrisy and the the fact that they don't see the damage that they're doing and the is to me staggering and mm-hmm. Like if you're if you're sitting there constantly on the left bashing people on the right, what exactly do you think you're accomplishing? I would suggest nothing. If not, you're doing more damage. And it works the other way. And they both do it. They both use it as a tactic. And the and and like I said, and the, the hypocrisy of it is is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like I and, and very and there's very few people that that feel like we feel. Like there are very few people that have the ability to use that. It's really weird. Reason. Very few people have the ability to reason to say, listen, I'm not going to take a side. I'm not going to hate someone because I'm being told to. I'm not going to, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stand here in the middle. And which is what makes Karima so fascinating and our next guest so fascinating is that they have that ability to occupy that space in the middle because of the experiences of seeing it all, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Karima, you've spent two years watching this all. I've spent two years documenting, watching it, being threatened several times a day. I've, and you know what? It's fascinating because when you're in the middle, those threats and that anger, they come from everywhere. You can't, 
you can't go, oh, well, that, you know, as a centrist, I know where that coming from is coming from the right. But as a centrist, it might be coming from the left. But the hatred's the same. The hatred's exactly the same. Yeah. And so that's what I find fascinating. And we lean on the experiences of people who have been radicalized by those groups. Gives me great pleasure to bring on to the show today a young woman who's responsible for taking out Heritage Front, a young woman who spent time as a neo-Nazi, uh, an accomplished author, an advocate. Uh, please welcome to the program, Alisa Hadigan, ladies and gentlemen. Am I saying your name right, Alisa? Yes, perfectly. Right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, gr great to have you here. I've heard so much about you. Uh, this is a, a relationship. Again, I go back to the, the conversation we have with Karima. She's able to have these incredible relationships and meet these incredibly colorful people that have lived these lives that give us the perspective that a lot of us have that are in the middle. Um, but but how did you guys meet? Like what, what's because uh, because this is obviously Karima. Was it at a, at a rally? Were you maskless? Did she did she accidentally run over you with your scooter? How does please this say, whole thing work? Please say yeah. a painting party. Yeah, please say a <laughs> no. Like many event. good relationships, um, it started online. Actually, it wasn't until fairly recently um, that we we met in person, um, and and it was most likely over um, comments or or something um, where there was a shared perception. I, I really I, I like chatting with people um you know in in conversation like the free exchange of ideas um so we've been dialoguing for what elisa maybe just over a year now probably a year and a half yeah, yeah about a year and a half yeah um, really yeah. yeah so, so you guys obviously meet online everybody and i know who uh elisa is because you're famous i mean you are um so are all you guys. <laughs> can no, I make are. a can I make an observation? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Because I at least I, I don't know you and I don't know much about your story. And um Dean sort of gave me like quick Cole's notes just before we jumped on today. So we got this happening. Karima's gonna da, 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 da. we're gonna talk about this. Da, da, da. And so I um I had a picture in my mind um based on what we'll even we can even refer to the to the uh to the to the title of the show today. Former neo-Nazi Elisa Hadigan. Yeah. I had a picture in my mind about what you looked like, and um, this is not it. Well, it was a long time ago. Uh, I was a neo-Nazi uh, between ages sixteen and eighteen. Um, so many, many, you know, uh, a long time ago, and I've been out of the movement. I've uh, been doing work to de-radicalize, to provide consulting services on uh, educating about the far right. I wrote a book about it. Um, it turns out uh, that my father, who had died when I was a kid, uh, happened to be Jewish. I discovered that, so I converted to Judaism. And uh, essentially, I discovered in the last year from doing genealogy that I'm actually related by marriage to Bernie Farber, of all people. So, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> so um, I'm a former uh, neo-Nazi who is gay and who is Jewish and who happens to be related to Bernie Farber. So it's a bit of a mind twist. But yeah. Wow. We got all the there bases go. covered there. Yeah, there's no way anybody could come after you being on our show. You have every That sounds like a drink you order at the bar. <laughs> um okay so so obvious question is alicia how does one because like i grew up my my grandparents fought nazism uh fought fat like physically fought it overseas 
Uh, they're all decorated people. I come from a very proud heritage of people who fought Nazis. How does someone like yourself get attracted to neo-Nazis? How did you how did you ascribe to become one at a young age? What was that process like? So, you know, it's it's really about the motivations. Like a lot of people who hate or how we how we envision neo-Nazis to be um are people who hate who are just like out to get another race but often it starts from fear and from loneliness and various factors that that end up being used by uh people who groom and radicalize young people and uh for me i immigrated from communist romania when i was 11 and uh we had a lot of uh, abuse in my family and uh you know it was a really rough environment i ended up in group homes and foster care in canada so um by 16 i was uh, i dropped out of high school i was really uh, resentful about missing my homeland, not quite being able to fit in in Canada. And uh, that's when I was watching TV one day and I saw a guy talking about pride in your heritage and why can't we love our race and, and all this stuff. And he was wearing a suit. So going back to what um, you guys were saying about, you know, I don't look like a neo-Nazi. I had this vision like back in the 90s when this happened, I had this vision of what Nazis look like. And they were like what you'd see on Jerry Springer or Geraldo Rivera, like in, you know, Nazi regalia and stuff like that. So I didn't realize that people could be just like people next door, like your neighbors or whatever. So um, once I joined the Heritage Front, I became part of this kind of uh, re- you know, uh, recasting of what uh, fascism is, you know, like they realized that they needed to clean up their image. They put me front and center as a, a spokesperson for the organization. I was like a Montel Williams at 17 talking about how I'm representing the far right in Canada. So it was a quite the rapid trajectory. And for me, it was because, you know, like I didn't even hate, you know, a lot of races. Like I, I had resentments against some of the black kids at a, a group home that I was in when I was 14. And I had been picked on because I, I, you know, growing up in a communist country, I didn't understand pop culture. I didn't understand rap music or Michael Jackson or Madonna and, and stuff like that. So I, I was picked like kids pick on other kids all the time. But I interpreted that as I as I'm an outsider. Nobody likes me. You know, I miss my whole homeland. So that's the kind of uh, trigger that um, that made me vulnerable to join the group. And, and so during, I guess, while you were with the group, um, you talked about being sort of a, so a spokesperson. What did your interactions look like? How how frequently were you dealing with these people? What would they have you do? Like, what did it? What was that all about? Yeah, like as soon as I joined, uh, within you know, I was I was hanging out with them all the time. They became my family. Like the the leader at the time, Wolfgang Droge, he was like a father figure to me and. Um, like I said, my father had died a couple of years earlier and, um, I just kind of needed that family balance because I didn't have half the time when I ran away, you know, they, they provided me shelter. They connected me with, uh, Ernst Zondo, who was like the leading Holocaust revisionist, uh, in the world for like 30 years, uh, operating out of Carlton street townhouse in Toronto. So I would run there when I got, you know, when I needed a place to stay or when I wanted to eat or whatever. And, um, uh, so they became my family. I hung out with them all the time. I wrote for their magazine. I uh, I did anything they asked me to do. So uh, I got dragged a lot uh, to interviews where I was given lines to memorize and everything was about how we were about pride. We didn't hate anybody so on and so forth while behind the scenes I'm being 
you know, told that there's a race war and that I need to start learning how to fire a gun and and uh, prepare for, you know, the (laughs) the future race war where, you know, so it was quite the dichotomy. But um, the other paradox that happened to me, and I, I say that all the time, is I it's what it's what I was leading. Um, what attracted me the most is is that they they loved me, and the more they loved me as as one of their own, the more I hated everybody else who they told me was opposed to them. So this weird paradox between loyalty and hatred that stemmed out of that. Um, yeah. So I I did anything and they you asked. Didn't, me you didn't. Stuff. Sorry, you didn't experience a lot of love as a child because you had a oh. shitty home life, and so this is like this is yeah. addictive, right? Yeah. Makes it's sense. um. It was it was like going from completely powerless and being bullied and being afraid to walk down the street at night because I was uh, in in Regent Park and I didn't have any friends and I was a dropout um, to suddenly like overnight, like feeling powerful for the first time, feeling like people were listening to me. And kids like me, they don't have adults to to, to really care and ask them what, what, what their interests are, what do they want to do in their life. So that's the first time I got that. And uh, yeah, it was it was incredibly addictive um, in the sense that I, I didn't feel alone for the first time in my life. Um, I, I felt like I belonged. And uh, that's one of the things that that a lot of people being radicalized and by anybody like uh, i've been part of networks that had uh, former gang members former jihadis more former nazis former anything and that seems to be a very common trend among people who become uh, radicalized i have a question about the heritage front just to because i don't know much about it um and my first um thought was that they were they they attempted Racist to be a political that's what you call was it a was it an attempt at a political party? At first, yes. So they um, they were trying to do several things. They called themselves an umbrella group of uh, conservative citizens. They also, you know, they had under their network a whole bunch of street skinheads who they called their the brawn of their movement. Um, they had. Uh, I remember at one point, a year after I joined, they were telling everybody to join the Reform Party, which was the leading uh, conservative conservative <laughs> party at the time. So we had, actually, yeah. So so people were like, um, you know, we don't have like. Hang on, you're talking about the you're talking about Preston yeah. Manning's Preston Manning, Christian yeah. Reform Party, the, yes. which is now the Conservative Party of Canada. Is that correct? Yeah, actually, one of the reasons why reform collapsed was as a result of the scandal um, of Heritage Front members infiltrating. And that was one of the affidavits that I provided information on um, as I, you know, just to quickly jump to how I got out. a couple of years in, um, there was a lot of harassment campaign. Like uh, there was a second leader of the Heritage Front who was running the intelligence division behind the scenes. And he was uh, Grant Bristow, who happened to be a CISA small. Um, and uh, yeah. so he uh, he was passing around information on people, uh, phone numbers, addresses of uh, anti-racist activists, community activists. And I was told to harass certain people who... Um, you know, to basically break the law, like they were, they were doing a lot of nasty stuff. And I was uncomfortable with that. And uh, it kind of put me in a position where I had to examine why I was involved in the first place, particularly when one of the people they wanted me to harass was a gay woman. And that kind of forced me to confront the fact that I was closeted and in this organization that was targeting people like me. Um, And so I ended up after a long personal journey, you know, um, turning against the Heritage Front, uh, spying on them for four months, uh, writing and uh, submitting about 30 affidavits to the OPP. Um, wow. 
um, basically I ended up on the run across Canada. I came back to Canada, uh, to Toronto to testify against Wolfgang and two other top leaders of the group. They were convicted of, um, you know, um, basically setting up, uh, various hate hotlines in, in, uh, in, uh, contravention of the uh, court order, and they spent the summer of uh, 94 in jail. Um, and as they were in jail, uh, Toronto Sun reporter Bill Dunphy, who had started to investigate what Grant Brewster was up to, partially uh, actually as a result of the affidavits that I submitted, like about eight of the uh, 30 that I uh, gave the cops involved criminal activity by Grant Bristol. So uh, Bill Dunphy started to look into it. And then in August 94, there was this big revelation in the Toronto Sun that actually this was all, uh, you know, the co-founder of the Heritage Front and the co-leader, Grant Bristol, was part of a CSIS operation called uh, Operation Governor. And uh, in the span of about five years that they poured like millions into this operation, not a single uh, neo-Nazi, Canadian neo-Nazi was ever arrested and convicted of anything. Um, and then as a result of all this extra attention that came out, uh, out of me, my defection, um, the operation was pulled. So inadvertently, I, I uh, helped to destroy Operation Governor. And... Um, Grant's handler was not pleased. Uh, he was quoted by the fifth. I said, actually, if anybody wants to learn more about Grant Bristow and the Heritage Front, uh, look up this uh, half hour documentary on YouTube by the Fifth Estate. It's called uh, Grant Bristow, Good for Business, um, recorded in 94. And uh, it's on YouTube right now. So it'll show some of the victims of the people who were harassed and terrorized by Recorded Bristow. in 94? It'll be in standard definition then. I don't think I can watch anything in standard <laughs> definition. Just let you know. On, on this, though, right, so just to, like, really drive this point home, it turns out that CSIS had a hand in creating this organization that was promoting and, and actively carrying out real-life harassment, bringing people over to this side of, of hate. Yeah. So that was that was CSIS involved. Um, what level of institutional support did you have? for your defection, for, you know, the aftermath. I already know the answer to this, but let's hear it. What, what, what support did you get? So I, I, I got OPP protection at the courthouse during the three days I was being cross-examined and having all the Nazis in the Heritage Front, like, wishing me death. I was already on a, on a hit list. Um, I didn't even get a change of ID. Like I was completely on my own. Um, uh, when I had met with the OPP about a month before I, I was forced to defect and we gave them my affidavits and we, all I asked was, uh, please give me witness protection. Um, and they said, well, just before we came to this meeting, we talked to our supervisors. We were told to stand off there. You know, they, they couldn't tell me what was going on. I later realized that the operation operation governor was in at play so they couldn't go and seize the ak-47s and start arresting people because CSIS had their uh, their hand in there so when i i was shocked because i didn't understand like how i could be denied witness protection i was 18 years old so i'm a kid i um just before i defected i was called to wolfgang's apartment him and another um top uh, member of the heritage front held me at knife point forced me to take my clothes off so they checked me for a wire um it was a very dangerous situation and that night i basically got out of there i ran home got my duffel bag and i was on uh, i was underground and thanks to a lot of um activists regular people all over the country i was like couch surfing dumpster diving living in shelters all over the country Jesus. for two years. when at 18 
with people wanting to kill me. Meanwhile, CISA swept in, got their boy out. Um, they gave him a million dollar package in Alberta to keep his mouth shut, I guess, because he's never, he never testified against anybody. He never led to any convictions. They did this whole spin where they said, oh, he averted, he averted uh, dangerous plots, but they never charged with anybody with uh, any, any, crimes and any any plots to to do anything so it was all a cover-up um they didn't even interview half the victims of of bristol's harassment as well so uh while he was getting like uh i think it was either three or five thousand dollars a month for several years afterwards i was eating out of the trash because i had absolutely nothing no protection and uh his handler had said on the fifth estate that uh about me he, he was quoted as saying we'll tear her to shreds and speaking about an 18 year old girl who wanted to do the right thing so that's the first time i realized that um doing the right thing isn't always a good thing when it comes to police operations uh like this so yeah i was uh, i was on my own i didn't i didn't even have money to to have a change of id um i was completely suffering from ptsd and and nothing and they didn't care they just protected their their agent it's fucking wild I wrote about it in a book. I, I, I always forget to plug my book. So if anybody wants to read it, um, I wrote uh, a book called Race Trader. It's on Amazon. It's uh, the subtitle, the, the, the true story of, uh, uh, the, of CSIS's uh, greatest cover-up. Because to date, um, there's been very little attention. There was a 2017 article, actually, that came out about Grand Bristol, complete whitewashing in the Toronto Star. Um, there were hits uh, on my website from the Toronto Star and on my uh, blog, but the reporters who the reporter who who wrote this piece on Bristol didn't contact me. They did, however, quote Bernie Farber saying that he considered Grant Bristol to to the the date as of 2017. He considered him a a, a good friend, a, a man who wanted to do something real good for the country, um, which is kind of ironic for somebody who's heading an anti hate organization. But that's for another day. So what would these guys say about you? Like, you know, I, I they said, I, you know what they said? They they started spreading rumors saying that I was a bicycle, meaning everybody had had a ride on me. I'd never slept with any of them because I was gay. And one of the things was they kept pressuring and pressuring me even when I was underage, but I resisted it. So to have CSIS and Grant's handlers spread such misinformation about me was really disgusting. Luckily, it was before the age of the internet, so I just had to watch my back. I can't imagine what I would have done if I had to read about it online as well. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. I mean, like, <clears throat> you know, we talk about the, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time digesting that part of your story, so I'm, I'm just going to ask you another question, and then we'll come back to that portion, which is, the harassment, right? The harassment of a human being in the 90s is very different than it is now. We're lazy harassers. We're those people who's like, I'll just do it from the couch with my thumb. You know, I'll just send a little warning shot over the thing. Do I do it from time to time? Not harass, but definitely a couple of warning shots over the bow with a quick tweet. No big deal. Part of the game. I get it. You've really like, grown. How? Thank you, bud. And we're uh, very how, proud of you. I appreciate that. How do you... How did how did that what did harassment look like back then when we're talking about you being harassed by these guys and you being followed by these guys? I mean, you know, you only like you said, you only had to worry about the physical presence of somebody. Right. But like that radicalization process, which, you know, we're in this great, great information warfare, I call it. It's a great information war. It's like any you, you can start a war online at any time and it can literally turn into a war. It's fucked. But like. Back then, when you're getting harassed, what is what is that harassed? Like people leaving notes at your door, 
uh, people like phoning your house? Like, how did that look? So there's a couple of couple of answers to that. The, the harassment that the Heritage Front perpetrated on activists involved a firebombing group home that ejected a, a neo-Nazi uh, teenage girl. There was a group home that was firebombed twice. They stopped one of the, it was um, a black staff member from that uh, group home who actually ended up being uh, attacked and uh, sexually assaulted. And uh, when she went to the police, um, the police arrested her and charged her with mischief. She happened to be defended by a really famous Toronto lawyer named Clayton Ruby. And I volunteered to appear as a witness on her behalf. And the police still didn't drop the charges till the morning of her trial when I was coming in to, to testify uh, on her behalf. And then they dropped the charges, but they never... They never um, followed up on who did it. Um, other people had had their car tires slashed. They'd had windows broken. Um, there were phone numbers and addresses that were circulated, passed out by Grant Bristow himself, um, uh, with basically saying, you know, call these people 24-7, make, make them have a mental breakdown. Um, you know, so there was a lot of physical, you know, escalation. Now, as far as what happened to me, um, you know, I, I knew that they were capable of anything. I mean, these, if these people were firebombing and uh, attacking, and there was um, a series of beatings that happened in Toronto after Heritage Front rock concerts where uh, three Tamil men on separate occasions were beaten up and one, um, one died and one ended up being paralyzed. And the one who was paralyzed, um, a, a Heritage Front skinhead had, was convicted for, for that assault. So, um, you know, I, I knew they could do anything. When I was on the run, I happened to be in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, staying with uh, for a couple of weeks with a, a black reverend out in Dartmouth. And uh, the phone started ringing and uh, there were voices on the other line saying, we've seen you. We know where you are. And I was freaked out. I didn't, you know, and I, and I said, you're bluffing. And then they described what I what jacket I was wearing the day before. So I knew that I had been found there. And then I had to leave Nova Scotia and <laughs> come back through Quebec to Ontario. So ultimately, um, you know, there's something to be said, like about armchair activism in the digital age. It makes people lazy. And sometimes that's a good thing. Yeah. Karima, question? this is crazy, right? I know it's fucked up. Karima, you got a question? Yeah, um, I, I guess. In, in comparing sort of from your vantage point now as someone who uses social media and, and you see um, online harassment manifest, um, what are your thoughts on some of the similarities and differences um, the 90s till today? The differences, well... You know, I was able to be instrumental in, in, in shutting down the Heritage Front through just simply by, um, you know, testifying against Wolfgang and the two other guys. And and the fact that my affidavits were also used in the investigation of Grant Bristow and eventually his uh, exposure. And so the group collapsed. Now, what would have happened if this was going on today is the material, the information that would all continue to be uploaded to the Internet by other members and it would be like a whack-a-mole mole scenario, which means like you can never shut it down, really, because it's it 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 propagates and and it's no longer restricted to a certain area like Toronto or Ontario or parts of Canada. It's it's everywhere. Uh, it crosses borders, and so um, I know that uh, like Anders Breivik, the um, shooter in Norway, or um, Dylan Roof, they they were all 
seen um, frequenting the um, Stormfront and some of the other, you know, neo-Nazi websites. So those websites that continue to radicalize and continue to provide the memes and the information that's out there, even after people go to jail. So that's the scarier part of the digital age is you can never pull the information away. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Yeah. Are, are the sorry, Lock? Uh, no, Lock, you go, and then I'll ask another question. Sorry about that. Well, I have a, a question just about the radicalization process today, and because I remember hearing about the Heritage Front, and they didn't really shy away from what they were. Um, and now I think the radicalization process is 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 considerably different. And obviously, I mean, we just touched on the fact that the internet plays a big part in in how that those differences might be, but. Are there organizations that we might not know about that are similar to what the Heritage Front represented back in the in the late eighties, early nineties? Elisa, I I think there are. Um, there's a lot of, uh, but perhaps not as um, overt in oh, cool. causing the you know in 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 uh, carrying out the criminal activity. I think there's a lot of. Uh, assembling and exchange of information and planning and things like that uh, using the internet as a platform. But, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's not something that ever stops, right? I mean, uh, extremist groups are always going to be around. Uh, this sort of like mobilization online is going to happen faster and faster. But um, of course there are. I just haven't seen like to date, based on what I've seen of the Canadian hate movement, I have not seen a, a movement exactly like the Heritage Front commit yeah. the kind of crimes that they've committed and, uh, you know, and, and be basically ran by a CSIS mole. Like, I, is is I, that a good thing, though? Like, is that is that a good thing that we don't have... Um, a heritage front type fucking paramilitary group of people yeah. willing to firebomb and beat be like it because we well, well, we're not really seeing that with the I mean, you were hearing about don't have it, the organization. And I fucking hope the guy is like, I can't fucking stand anybody associated with Diagonal. And I think Jeremy McKenzie's an enormous piece of shit. Not the not not the the argument we're having today, but in terms of like, you know, uh comparables are there comparables that you've seen because this is you still do a ton of ag advocacy and training and you you teach people how you de-radicalize individuals from both sides of the equation because you're a centrist but like are you seeing any comparables today to what you saw yesterday um not in terms of the actual activity or criminal activity being carried yeah. out but in terms of the character the personality of the people yeah they're very similar there's a lot of um we used to have uh, in the Heritage Front members of the Airborne Regiment, uh, which ended up being disbanded after the Somalian teenager um, uh, was was killed in the barracks uh, in Somalia, and uh, military guys were taking pictures with his body. Um, oh, so I remember that? You remember? Um, yeah. I forgot his name, but yeah. Um, so we had, you know. There's a lot of military interest. I mean, one of the affidavits that I exposed was a Toronto police officer who was a, a, a member of the Heritage Front. He was on a mailing list. And that was another reason why I was afraid of Toronto police. Um, so, you know, 
military guys were prime recruitment material. Um, they would be trained with paramilitary tra training. And we were told, like, if you want to learn how to make explosives, how, how to hire fire guns, just, just get trained by the military, you know? So um, the point is, while the organization, there was no comparable organization going out there firebombing and harassing and terrorizing people like in a concentrated, you know, fashion, the way the heritage front is the personality types, the, um, the military factor that that is still at play. And that's what makes it dangerous because it's harder yeah. to see and monitor what's happening when it's all hidden in secret chats and things like that. So it's a lot harder to monitor that stuff as well. It's decentralized as well. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You had to physically go to Zundel's house. Like you had to physically yeah. go somewhere. Yeah, to you have to physically recruit people to sit down at a pub and go, hey, you know, we're such a cruel group and, you know, come socialize with us. Like, yeah. you know, you don't have to do that. You can be completely different. You can bagels. be anybody you want and recruit anybody across North America if you want. Like, you know, it's decentralized. You can get a lot more recruits that way because you're not concentrated, you know, localized to a specific area. So the potential is a lot worse, but you know, I have not seen the kind of, you know, committed, yeah. Yeah, you know, real shit. Um, but, but OK, so here's a quick question and then I'll shut up and let everybody else ask questions. No, no. Um, yeah, no, I'm going to shut up. Don't worry. I will. I'll get there. I'll get to shutting up. I don't want you to shut up. Well, I want to because I'm interested in listening to all you. You're all smarter than me. You're asking great questions. And Lisa's a great guest. OK, so I'll shut up. But here's a question I have. Uh, same MO, same people like you talked about how you you got love from Heritage Front, so you felt like you were part of community, felt powerful, felt taken care of, felt secure for the first time. Do you see them using the same tactics online? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. So that's that's the risk. Like, I understand that this is a, a reason why, you know, these, these groups must be monitored, where my concern is the um, not to exaggerate or make more of them than they are. And, you know, and there's a lot of conflict of interest in, in groups that are have a have a reason to exaggerate the or overinflate the number of hate groups in Canada. Um, and so that's that's something that does concern me. But, yeah, definitely um, they need to be monitored because it's it's very close. Like what, when you it's it's to go back to the whole conversation about forgiveness and redemption, right? Um, if you take away everything from a person, so there used to be like cancel culture. If someone is in, in a certain group or whatever, you take away, you get them fired, you whatever. So when you get them to the point where they have absolutely nothing except their echo chamber, that's when they become the most dangerous, when they don't have a job, when they don't have any kind of community mm -hmm. connection. And they're just kind of a lone wolf. They, they can go rogue. And that's that's what I'm concerned about is this kind of so, I, social isolation that pushes people into becoming even further radicalized. Mm. So so on so, that, then, if if the the issue of isolation is what drives people, but then how do we reconcile this with, you know, don't talk to people who hold bad views, shun them, sort of keep them how, what's what's the best way in your mind um, to actually interface and, and get someone out of a, a rabbit hole? So you can't do any of that if you're not willing to at least open a channel of communication with them. And uh, we're living in such polarized times that now communication is interpreted and construed as collaboration immediately. So you can't have a debate with somebody. Oh you can't, you so know. True. 
communication is collaboration. And so you can sit on your virtue signaling on the internet and uh, shut up people and try to, you know, vilify people who do try to de-radicalize others or at least try to understand. Um, and if we don't have these conversations, this is causing even more populism, even more echo chamber um, right-wing manifestations. So this is like the, the way this is being approached and tackled right now is like literally the worst thing you can do, which is just punch a Nazi is like Thank the only you. acceptable, the only acceptable measure of de-radicalization. I'll tell you when, when I was a kid, if somebody came up to me and punched me in the face or spat at me, you think that it would be like, Oh yeah, I want to be go, go to the left now. I don't think so. So, you know, People are afraid. Like we live in a country where 50 years ago, Canada was like 90% white and people in rural areas want to talk about the demographics. They're afraid. They think like, oh my God, my rights are going to be taken away. These people coming off the boat, they're going to take my job away. They don't realize they, those people they're afraid of, they have nothing. And so I try to show that um, when I, when I, when I, just to go back to the original question, um, I think that if we don't have some sort of like way to reach out and there's a couple of organizations that try, but there's not really, you know, there's a Montreal organization um, called Info Radical that has a hotline for people to uh, call family members and uh, they can talk about the can young people. Can you imagine people. being on the other end of that hotline, though, like getting that phone call? Hi, I'm like an I'm on an eight hour YouTube binge right now and I'm starting to think some crazy shit. Shit. I'm starting to think some crazy. I mean, a hotline doesn't do it, right? The only thing that does no. it is is like in a relationship, like talking to somebody, yeah. having but, that but then you But then you run the risk of being labeled as one of them because if you lower oh, yourself, then oh you are God. them, right? So, so this true. is this is the sick thing: is there's no deradicalization; it's just amplification. And what's happening with the right wing is they band together around common causes, whatever conspiracy or whatever common cause it is, as, as Karima knows, <laughs> you know, um, whereas the left, they, they just, they seem to nitpick at everything. And, and there's this constant purity spiral That's where, because they're pussies. You know? And so how are you, how are you gonna, how are you going to deter people from joining the far right when you're terrified mm -hmm. that if you even like, talk to somebody you're going to be uh considered a traitor and be on the the, the firing squad and so there's never any com communication with people across the barricade uh of the whole political spectrum we're just in silos at this point i um yeah it was so well said and and i hope people are hearing what she's saying i, I and i i hope you're self-aware to 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 figure out if you're part of the problem and not part of the solution so thank you for that I do have a quick, I, I need to interject because I would, I live in Alberta. So I see the right and I see the left and I see it from a very different perspective because I'm doing a radio show every day. And I swear to God, about once every two weeks, somebody tells me, you know, what we got to stop doing, we got to stop giving the immigrants cars when they come to the country. There's a belief that, that they get a free Toyota Corolla when they hit the airport in Calgary. <laughs> And I'm just like, are you, you've got to be kidding me. Like you, you believe that and you cannot convince these people otherwise. Way. No, well, but that's the question a, I have in their mind. They get a free car and, yeah. and a and free life house is just dandy. I want your job. They get your car. They get your house. They get it's your amazing. job. And, and there are men out there that think, and you know what they're coming for next? My wife. And you're like, okay, relax, shithead. It's not the case. And it's, but, but, but going back to the same thing, is, was that the selling point for neo Nazism 
back in the day like it is for fascism now, which is like, were you told like ad nauseum? They're coming for our stuff. They're co- is that what you were told? Because yeah. it's the same. Is it like thirty years later? Same it's the strategies. same fucking messaging, right? Same strategy. It's the exact same. Like the message is absolutely the same. Yeah. So do you see? And I can say we, we, you know, when my, like when my parents and my kids, we had nothing. Just that we yeah. didn't get a car. We didn't, didn't get, anything. get a free Toyota. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, can we talk a little bit about your book? Um, it, did I get the name right? Race Trader. Yeah. Okay, and that's available on Amazon if I wanted to buy that. Yep. Also, do you have an audio? Like, is there an audio book version of he it? He doesn't like reading reading words. He likes hearing the words. He can't. Not, he gets no, confused not yet. With, like, sentences. Not yet. You should work on that. You should work on that. Yeah. <laughs> He's an auditory kind of guy. That's fine. I, you know, I am. I am. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I got is. lots of TV shows to watch. There's so much on Disney right now. I don't have time to read. Uh, Karima, you have a question? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I was going to ask about sort of the landscape um, when the Heritage Front was at its apex, um, and, and you were you were there. Um, what what did resistance to that look like um, in in the outside world? How was the media dealing with it? How were citizens dealing with it? Is it different than today? Um. Not not terribly different in the sense that there was a, a group um, of anti-racist activists who would be, I guess, the equivalent of Antifa today. Um, and anti-racist action would protest at all the courthouse meetings that the Heritage Front showed up at. They would protest in front of uh, venues like the Latvian Hall and other. So, so, you know, there would be like street clashes and fighting and territorial areas that's considered that's ARA territory and you don't go in there. So it was like a lot of street brawls and street fights and things like wow. that. Um, in terms of the media, they they couldn't get enough. They they would uh, broadcast um, the polarization, the controversy, because because it's I mean, what we've called now clickbait. Right. So uh-huh. um there wasn't a lot of difference really in the way they were reacting, the, the, the backlash against the heritage front then versus now. Just terminology, right? Things change on how we present it. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I'm watching a show right now called city on a hill and it's based in the late eighties, early nineties, I think. And it's funny. They're complaining about the overly uh, politically correctness of the world. And I'm like, shit, that hasn't gone away. Eh? They just didn't call it, being politically correct so yeah it just things just morph into it and you know a different approach yeah. and the yeah, line and just to just to one other point in terms of like law enforcement's approach to the heritage front was very lackadaisical they weren't really going after them um but again it could be that they were told off from the background because i know in um a few months before i actually joined at 16 grant bristol had been arrested with a couple of guns in his truck and uh, metro police was going to charge him and all that and then his agent uh, swept in and cleared it all up and you know they left so um Possibly there was a combination of factors. The the Metro Police was, uh, you know, I mean, was somewhat, there was a, you know, a, a climate of a lot of protests, a lot of um, horrible things that the Metro was doing at the time. They were doing like illegal strip searches of black women when they would be arrested. So there was deadly laws and, you know, the Black Action Defense Committee was protesting on the streets. And so the Heritage Front played up on that um on that animosity between the police and the black community by wearing like little bl- blue ribbons. And, and when there would be rallies, they would go up to the police and say, you're doing such a fine job officer. Oh, just like you. today, just like today. Yeah. Blue line, right? Yeah. Don't yeah so God, the police so done would be, this before. 
And whereas, and 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 we, you know, Wolfgang would shake hands with a hate crimes unit uh, officer, and then and then they say like, you know, look at all those like crazy black block, like with we, with a mask anarchist who are like fuck the police and all that, right? And mm-hmm. um, so that's how the you know we got to get away with a lot of stuff. You know, there wasn't a lot of enforcement of of uh, going after the Heritage Front at all, which was surprising. So, but, can I yeah. can I get yeah. you to clarify your opinion of of grant bristol like uh, just i i know you've you've sort of offer a little more clarity as to how much so do you this guy i'm is. just i'm a little bit together I, I do get that um you have got him in a certain like you've put him in a camp and 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 I, i'm kind of putting him there too based on how you're telling the story but do you think that was he more a part of CSIS or the Heritage Front? Do you think well, he believed in the Heritage Front? He was a believer. Front? He was absolutely, absolutely a believer. And wow. you can see that in that video on the Fifth Estate, even though it's not in HD, um, if you look it up. But yeah, <laughs> he was a believer. He was um, he creeped out people in his previous jobs. People said he was a racist before he ended up being recruited. Um, and ultimately, you know, he got off on terrorizing people, I mean, and particularly women. I remember being given like names and phone numbers of women in particular and asking him, well, why are we going after the women so much? And he said, like, he just looked at me and said, you know, women are more emotional. They're easier to break. And just Jesus. to, you know, instead of describing how I feel about him, I'll tell you what he got me to. He tried to get me to do when I was still a minor. Um he gave me the phone number of this woman who, who her only sin was that she was part of the ARA group and she was a lesbian. And he wanted me to call the telepersonals and all the sex hotlines at the back of like Now Magazine and Extra Magazine and uh, pretend I was her and say, hi, my name is so-and-so and I'm into black guys coming to my house and this is my address. And I have these fantasies to be beaten with chains. So he wanted me to give her address and record that message. And I couldn't do that because I just, you know, it was so out of left field. And that is who Grant Bristol was. He would call other people with me on a three-way call. So he'd tell me to be quiet. He would call people and terrorize them. He would call somebody, uh, somebody's employer, um, somebody's landlord and say, you know, your employee is a pedophile. He's a violent anarchist. He's a criminal. Don't you want to oh, like, you know, but, but like kind of people with how they do it on Twitter today It's the same thing. They just yeah. did it with like yeah. phone calls and it was a much more personal. Touch, yeah, is what you're saying. that was Grant yeah. Bristow. And like I said, um, there's not even one single arrest and conviction of anybody that they can they can point to. They keep pointing to this. These uh, white supremacists from the U.S., Tom and John Metzger, who apparently had come in and then Grant and CSIS got them deported. They didn't even deport them until after they came and did their speeches in Toronto. And Grant was the one who arranged to smuggle them in by dre- dressing them as rabbis because they were on a no, no, don't let them in. But they figured Rabbi mm-hmm. Metzger, it sounds Jewish, right? So they dressed them up as rabbis and got them uh, smuggled in over the border. That's who Grant Bristol was. Um, he got a three-car garage house in Alberta. He got, uh, yeah, three or $5,000 a month for several years. Uh, Great deal. Wife had unex- full expense paid uh, trips to Ontario anytime she wanted. And all of this, for what exactly? For 
creating, because um, he created the Heritage Front. When he was recruited by, by CISAS, he joined the Nationalist Party, which was a party that preceded the Heritage Front. He joined the Nationalist Party. He got to know the guys there. He got to know Wolfgang. And then when they were off to Libya, they, they were invited by Muammar Gaddafi on an all-expense paid. Yeah, Libya, the Libyan collection. So they were invited there for the anniversary of Gaddafi's regime, whatever. And he invited everybody. I don't know. It's, IRA, you know, whatever kind of uh, terrorist groups, he, uh, you know, he invited over. And uh, when they were in Libya, uh, Grant and um, Wolfgang and a couple of other people sat down and Grant sold Wolfgang on starting a new organization because the existing leader of the uh, Nationalist Party was very controlling. And I, I, I'm, I'm saying that Bristol didn't, couldn't quite control or take over the organization. So the idea was introduced that let's a new group, we can control it, we can do what and get away from that guy but they did the moment they came back to canada and so he was a co-founder he would whip out his american express card pay for stuff he would fund um rental halls i'm not sure if the rental hall that where the skinhead who ended up beating that tamil man uh that the concert that was held was actually paid for by bristol but i know he paid for other rentals so the point is he they paid for this. They fueled it. They they encouraged criminal activity. They told airborne skinheads. They told skinheads with criminal records for assault. Here's the number and the house address and the you know whatever of our enemies. He he um, counseled a minor to commit crimes. So yeah, that's who Grant Bristow was. I don't even have to give my opinion because I think you can guess what it is. Yeah. Um. I just did a quick peek on Wiki. I wikied Grant Bristow. It's like Grant Bristow, and it's like. Just says spy. <laughs> spy. He was an undercover spy or mole for the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, CISAS, who co founded, successfully infiltrated Heritage Front White Supremacist Group for six years. Created uh, it several months after the assignment. Yeah, he was exposed by the Toronto Sun reporter Bill Dunphy, as you have laid out here, August 1990. Based on some of my affidavits as well. <laughs> yeah, um, and you're widely reported as being the person that incidentally took down project what's it called operation governor right here mm-hmm. and there's his visit to libya with the national party introduction to the far right career and ceases work um do you worry like that maybe you got in the middle of something else like so, so there's because there's something else going on here right like so, and i want to just think, bring this I think, up i think what happens is is like you know one one thing that that I had to understand about the way government organizations and policing or uh, undercover work, uh, they don't go looking for somebody who smells like roses. You know, they they look for people who are shifty, who will fit into a criminal gang. You know, those are their informants typically, right? So, um, you know, the guy was a believer. He he did what he did. They got off on it. There was an internal report going around. Um, um, to the um, governor general's office um, by by somebody uh, who who passed on a, me- a memo that said we're concerned there's an agent in the field who's doing something that you know might be controversial and they hid that memo and they charged uh, Brian McInnes who was the guy who um, who was the uh, the guy who worked for uh, for the governor general's office they charged him under the official secrets act um, and eventually that was dropped but the bottom line is there were you know. 
you see this across other organizations and other policing bodies where, you know, you're constantly operating, you're, you're monitoring an organization and one year goes by, two years go by, nothing really happens. There's just a lot of bitching and complaining and, oh, we're going to take over. We're going to like shoot up people in the race war, but nothing gets done. So you know what they do at that point to justify the operation? There's this kind of nudging process that happens at, at least, you know, and, and I mean, Bristol went beyond nudging, but there's this kind of like encouragement, like, okay, let's give them some targets. Let's do, let's, let's stir it up a little bit more so that we can justify this ongoing thing. So was he a spy playing a Nazi or a Nazi playing a spy? He was he, both. <laughs> um, I, I he, mean... he, was, he was a Nazi. He was a Nazi playing a spy. He taught us how we were all like getting off on it because he had created the intelligence division of the Heritage Front. So he was training all of us to be spies. And that was the cool thing that he would like, how he would get everybody on board. You get a magnifying to do- glass, at least. You get, no. You get walkie talkie. <laughs> no. no. But he taught no us, book. he taught us how to hack into answering machines. He taught us how to disguise our voices, how to avoid surveillance, how to listen to police scanners. He taught us all that. And he taught me, this is why I don't even vote. He taught me how to go to the Metropolitan Library and look up voters' registry records in these books and figure out at each house address who the names of everybody who's registered out as a voter. So that's how we could find out who lives at whatever residence. Um, so he taught all these people, these skills because he was our intelligence chief so he was turning all of us into little mini grand bristol spies and that and damage then, like, can't really be calculated right like yeah exactly really and everyone did after and then i remember being being part of it and going to like this because i was interested in like irish politics and going to this irish freedom association which was like a completely more like a left i'm not even interested in meeting. canadian politics but you're interested in irish politics That's well awesome. i was it i was going through a phase yeah. i was going through a phase of being a revolutionary and i didn't okay. care for Zephyr, right. right i was just like really uh, intrigued Got in it. that so <laughs> then when i went to that meeting he wanted me to take down the names of everybody i met at that meeting and give it to him so i ended up give, giving him information not just on whatever he was trying to get me to spy on and find out from, you know, all the sleuthing. But I was like giving him information on organizations that were left wing in Toronto and I had no idea. Um, so he he certainly provided CSIS with a lot of material that was just used for intelligence gathering, certainly not to stop any crimes. So question for the table. Does this not make you wonder? Yeah, right. Does this not make you go, hmm? Okay. If he was a Nazi spy slash spy Nazi, right, uh, who started Heritage Front, which was Canada's most dangerous neo-Nazi organization ever, right? Um, In modern history, I guess since the clan of the 20s. Yeah, in modern history, yeah. You got to wonder how easy it is for certain institutions uh, to whip the same kind of crazy rage and divisiveness up on behalf of local government, federal government, provincial mm-hmm. government. I mean, you know, if, if, if you don't know that you're dealing with a guy who's actually working for Canada's spy agency and he's literally this is in the 90s and, and it is documented and they are I don't know if maybe CSIS is like, let's give him a sweet wiki page where it makes him look like a spy. I don't know. I mean, I'm hearing about all this for the first time. But my mind immediately goes to 2021, 2022, uh, the information warfare that we see and who's kind of actually behind it. Right. Like I'm immune to it because I, I look at it in binary. 
Um, and sure, I get attacked on a daily slash weekly basis, but I know where it comes from, generally speaking. But my God, could you imagine not knowing that this might be someone working for an institution in Canada that you think is supposed to be keeping you safe at night? Like, seriously. Seriously. Which is my question. And I kind of asked it about like tw- 10 minutes ago before we got sidetracked into something better, obviously. But like, do you is it possible you stepped in the middle of an ongoing operation that you weren't supposed to? Like, is it possible that I don't know? And I'm just playing devil's advocate here because I kind of have to. Something with poss- a bigger. A, yeah. Like it. Like- yeah. Like, is it possible that before Grant Bristow could come out and go, here, look at me. I'm not really a Nazi. I'm a spy. Look at that. I did all this Surprise! stuff. You know how those guys came back from killing Obama? It's like, I'm writing a book because it's way better and it pays better than working in the like. That's what I would expect to happen after a guy is a celebrated CSIS spy helps take down an organization. But it wasn't him. It was you. Right. But that's my yeah. question. Is that is is it. Do you, do you think maybe you, you, you fucked something up by mistake? I don't yeah, know. Well, I mean, I fucked it up. I fucked it up and I was punished for it. I was torn to shreds. Like, like I, like they said that I would be, they, they told the fifth estate, um, you know, of course I, I had no idea that I was just trying to stop them from hurting my friend. You know, the people who were trying to help me, the woman who I ended up calling, who was being terrorized by them. And I, I was afraid that they were going to do something to her. So I inadvertently, you know, I wanted to get them back. I felt bad for what I, you know, for my own motivations. I certainly had no idea I was getting in the middle of this whole operation. And uh, just to answer your question about could there have been uh, an ongoing operation that could have resulted in something? Um, he was involved from 89 to 94. In that five year uh, operation, nothing, nobody was arrested, no plot. I mean, only when the Security Intelligence Review Committee later, you know, reviewed things and said, oh, yeah, he averted danger he averted criminal act about what they never provided a single shred of evidence of anybody who was ever charged of any tangible plot nothing um and so in five years if you haven't gotten a single person arrested and you guys are just like having fun terrorizing people blowing up shit in the streets you know um spray painting synagogues and you know mosques and whatever like like what is that that's just like and 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 before i forget um his handler, who I'm not going to name, but he's very Thank easily you. found. His handler was uh, Grant's handler, came from the same RCMP department that was disbanded before CSIS was created. So if you guys look into the history of CSIS, they came out of the RCMP, which was involved in a lot of dirty tricks in the 70s. And they were blowing up barns and blaming it on the FAQ, FLQ, so that there would be all these war measures and, and you know, things that would happen. And I have my opinions about something like this happening today, right? Because there's a pattern to this stuff. But they would they were setting up the FLQ and they blew up this bar and and there was this whole scandal. Um, and then they decided to disband RCMP. But did they fire them? No, they just transferred the whole department over to the newly minted Canadian Security Intelligence Committee. So uh, service. So you know. I wonder what kind of sense of accountability and everything is hidden before CSIS asset privilege. Like you can't, how do you scrutinize? How do you, how do you go after these guys where, where there are laws in place to ensure and guarantee their anonymity, right? Um, there's also the fact that they were terrorizing this native Canadian center uh, director named Rodney Bobbywash. And, 
um, unfortunately, Rodney died in 2002, but he was also instrumental in making sure that I would be protected. He he hid me on a, uh, an Indian reserve at one point. He, he let me stay with him in Ottawa at one point. So he wanted to sue them for psychologically terrorizing him. And the things, I mean, they were spray painting the Native Canadian Centre. They went after the Indigenous uh, community. But how do you sue CSIS, right? It's such an unfair imbalance of power and, and one that could perhaps be mediated if you just had some sort of a accountability or transparency, but clearly that, that's not the case. Mm. There is a okay, lot I have, underneath here. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So can you, can you give us just a little bit of your speculation about what's happening currently? I think there are certain just organizations that are tasked to be at arm's length from the government, but that are funded by the government and whose members have connections and consider Grand Bristol friend. And so, you know, organizations like that like to operate under the, the veil of anonymity um, when in fact they should be scrutinized the most, you know, and organizations that have only been around, say, four years, who expect the kind of anonymity we don't even expect out of the Toronto Star or McLean's magazine that have been around for 100 years, but you don't see half the reporters suddenly deciding that they're going to go anonymous and just trust us, bro, we know what we're doing, you know, take our word for it. We don't, we have certain expectations of journalism, right? We have expectations that, you know, people who are accused of being neo-Nazis or, or criminals or whatever can confront their accuser. And now what we're seeing is these arm's length yet government-funded organizations who are developing somewhat of a monopoly in determining what is a Nazi, what is hate, what is a hate symbol in Canada, being allowed mm. to act just like CSIS, like use anonymity, um, use whatever unethical, shady methodology, not transparent, um, to label people as extremists. And and um, that's, that's concerning me because... Uh, um, CSIS has operated by proxy through the Heritage Front and through other organizations as well. So um, don't blame me for being suspect. <laughs> yeah. No, you're well, now we know why you're friends with Karima. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's that a problem. That was a well-placed <laughs> sip. Now, that, that's a problem that, that I think people like us have on a crazy. daily basis, right? Is that... You know, there there are there's a huge swath of the Canadian population that sits here and goes, we know I can see it. We know we know about the crazies over there. We know about the crazies over there. We know about the amplification process. Some of us actually know who's in charge of it. And some of us have a problem with nefarious means. So you don't hear these stories on a regular basis. Gaslighting. We're not. We're, we're talking to a full Nazi who closed down the most dangerous neo-Nazi organization in Canada's modern history, uh, Elisa Hattig. And we're talking about extremism and the kaleidoscope of it. We're not talking about one side. We're not talking about the other. We're talking about specific examples and how they feed into the environment that guys like Lachlan, myself, and Karima sit in the middle of taking bullets from every side and it goes to explain to people that listen all things are not what you think they are right yeah. if you're and on the, the enemy is not necessarily the person across the barricade and the political divide it's the Bingo. person who is manipulating 
the the message and and the laws and and uh, the message is used to twist and create new draconian laws to further censor all of us mm-hmm. on every mm-hmm. side of the barricade. That's exactly <laughs> it. Yeah, it's- and if they can't do it through policy, if government can't do it through policy, what they do is they've got these podunt little people and organizations that they infiltrate on the side that do it for them. And it's right wing. It is left wing. It is all about the game. They're and the all game is it. how do we make people? How do we how do we win the perception war? How do we help people? How do, and how do we divide people? How do we keep them busy in the middle? How do we keep them out of our political hair? How do we keep them out of our, exactly. And so all of this is a ruse. And, and we've been talking about this for so long that I feel like we're finally getting to the bottom of it. And I feel like we're finally getting to the bottom of it with people who have been abused by the system, abused by the institutions involved. And not only that, people who have been shut up through a series of legal issues, through being charged, through being sewered, through being smeared, through being told that this is who you're dealing with. So fuck, watch out. Otherwise, you're just like them. That's not the case. That's what the dill holes on the left and the dill holes on the right want you to believe is that you're going to lose it all if you go all in with them or have a conversation with this guy. I'm telling you right now, we are going to get underneath this thing and we're going to have a good look at what's underneath the car of fucking extremism, the hate space in this country, how it works, because I'm fascinated by it. And the reason why I'm fascinated by it is because I'm uncancelable. (laughs) so I can do it. And not only can I do it, I'm going to do it. And we're going to find out from a whole bunch of people how this works. How does it work? How do you keep an entire country on a fucking ledge with their fingernails like this, wondering if their neighbors are psychos or if they're allowed to go to a dinner party because that person tweeted this yesterday? Like, how do we do that? That's what I'm interested in. And then how do we take all that blame and shift it onto the people who deserve it? Not the people like you, not the people like Karima, not people like us or Lachlan. Dude, we're all in the middle. We're in agreement that we're we're not we're in it for a strong Canada. We're in it because we believe in our neighbors and we don't care about their religious or political beliefs. As long as those beliefs mean you don't hurt me, I don't hurt you and you don't hurt everybody around you. But we're in this fucking weird cauldron of stupidity where like, hey, listen, we're all in this. It's, it's like a game to some people. It's like yeah. let's hurt each other and see who can hurt the other person fastest. And longest. And when it comes to sticking up for people I work with or when it comes to actually having this conversation, I'll have it all day long. And I don't care where the truth lies, Lisa. I really don't. And, and Karima knows this about me. I think, Locke, you're the same, too. If the truth lines up uh, to support someone on the right, that's where the truth is. If the truth lines up to support someone on the left, that's where the fucking truth is. And we'll find it. And that's why I was so grateful that you came on today, Lisa. I hope it wasn't that onerous or scary and i hope you had a little bit of fun at the same time you're, you're safe some of the most terrible moments i've ever heard of anybody's life ever you're safe now um yeah but i take precautions and i i don't have anything in my name i don't have a driver's license uh everything i have is in other people's names and uh you know <laughs> wolfgang was shot to death in um 2005 i believe uh Ernstandl died so some of the people uh some of the players you know and of course Br- bristol's in alberta so it's not like uh you know 
Um, but you know, I've gotten I've gotten more threats from other people. You know, I had to go to uh, file a police report a few years ago because I had a Twitter campaign of Nazis come after me because I was quoted in a paper. You know, speaking against it. So, you know, but just to to the point of that you were making, I think it's you know, if I if I leave here, I don't want to leave without making the point that deflection is being used to censor any kind of criticism, and so. You know, I'm, I'm reading some of the comments and, you know, and whatever people might say about me or somebody else, or they say that person's a Nazi or you can't believe this person because their credibility is tarnished because of X, Y, Z. We have to look at the fact that this constant deflection and attack on people's credibility and the ad hominems are being used to deflect any kind of scrutiny and accountability. Mm -hmm. And I know it, it, it seems so basic and yet mm -hmm. this is what's happening. So I, I urge everybody, no matter what side of the fence you fall on, Follow the question. Don't just get thrown off by people saying, well, you know, how can we be accountable? Because that person, you know, hosted or wanted to host, you know, um, a controversial figure. So that person is a Nazi now or that, you know, or you you sued mm. so and so. And that, you know, that means your credibility is finished. No, it isn't. You know, it has nothing to do with what I've accomplished in my life. But that's the kind of simplicity and smearing that is happening right now. And follow the question don't just listen to the to the to the ad hominems and the insult just think for yourself and that's that's what we need yeah and fuck trudeau <laughs> no no bad I'm timing i'm a political orphan i can't stand trudeau and i'm not going to go into that that was such a good we had such a good powerful profound statement profound yeah, and uh, then sorry, and then, I'm I'm sorry. It just felt he, like the right time the, to do he it. Brought in the Western Canadian flag. Alberta <laughs> just comes in to shit on everything. Holy! <laughs> well, you guys have Bristol, so enjoy them. Uh, yeah, I want to fucking talk to that guy. I'm gonna track him down and talk to him. I want to like tell me what, what, what I I only have one question. What came first, being a spy or being a raging Nazi? You he was a me. Nazi. He was working at a strip club as a failed strip club comedian. It's all in that documentary, guys. Follow up on that. What's the documentary again? I'm going to watch it. What's the name of the documentary? Um, it's half an hour. I can send you guys the link. Um, it's yeah, called yeah. Grand Crystal. Good for business. Just Google it on YouTube. It's right on YouTube. All right. Just good for business. Google Grand Crystal. Good for estate. business on the Fifth Estate channel. Um, this fascinating. I, I really like the tracks we laid for the next time you come on the show. I really do. I You're really, really like again? the tracks. Oh, I would love to have you on, Elisa. I Thank think you. the world of what you've done. I think the world of anybody who's been through hell and back and chose to make the right decision no matter how hard it was and then stayed the course even when you had everybody yeah. from every side telling yeah, you that you were worth it. This, you don't make... I, 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 we need heroes like Elisa Haddigan. And I'm grateful that you took time to spend, uh, to talk to us today to kind of tell us your story. And we're going to have you back to tell other stories. And we're going to, how do you say, un, un, unwrap this onion? We're going to unwrap the, the, There's the many layers, onion. many very yes. interesting layers. Yeah. Kareem, is that okay with you if we unwrap the hate onion? Yeah, onion is a good metaphor because of the tears. Um, but I, as the unwrapping imagery, I was just thinking of a failed strip club comedian. Um, so my I, thoughts are muddled. I, right I was really hung up there too. <laughs> my thoughts like, are muddled. What does that look like? I mean, <laughs> I can picture the tie. Well, aren't you I'm a failed pretty comedian sure that's if a you're tweed on, jacket? If, yeah, but aren't you by nature a failed comedian if you're doing comedy in a strip club like a strip club? <laughs> 
I can see a hairpiece doesn't fit very well. Like I got the a best lot or of, the worst. It's yeah. there's yes. no in between. Huge sweat yeah. marks uh, on like some kind of baby blue dress shirt that and like a a, a belt made out of like twine. Yeah, I yeah. get it. I, I see what yeah. I, I can see Grant Bristow and an aggressive right set now. too because he's being yes. yelled at because Cherry Poppins is on next. Just <laughs> let me finish my last joke. It's about riding a bike. <laughs> Cherry Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> hey, ladies, welcome to the show. We're back. There you go. We took a break to talk about extremism. Holy now we're back to talking shit. about strip joints. Don't worry, you missed the start of the show where we opened with our colonoscopies. So happy that you made it for the most important stuff. At Alicia Hadigan on Twitter. Uh, Alicia, thank you so much uh, for sharing your story. And, and I know this was a long time coming uh, for us. And I know we've been kind of trying to figure out a time to get you on here. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I also hope that you found it. Uh, somewhat comforting and a safe space to actually talk about your story. Uh, we try to do that for people, and I hope that was your experience today. I really appreciate you. It was. Thank you so much, guys. We'll Thank talk you. To you it was soon. nice meeting Alisa you, Lisa Hadigan, ladies and gentlemen. Lisa Hadigan on Twitter. Jesus Boy, Christ. you know where to. F- you, you you meet the best people, eh, Karima? You really do. It's a skill. It really is. And I meant when I said at the that start. That was unfucking. You know what? Actually, we should pause on that. I either introduce the best people to you or the absolute worst. The worst. The worst. Yeah. There's a bit I don't of think Elise is going to blow oh, up. Man, I've done a lot of due game. diligence. It's a numbers, yeah. <laughs> it's a numbers game. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it is. Uh, you know the what? numbers no, are I weighted think... in my favor as opposed to your favor when it comes to introducing good people to so-and-so. Because we work together, right? So it's like, hey, meet this person. They might be able to help you with this. Hey, meet, meet this person. It's like, I think I'm 10 for 10. She's like two for six, maybe two for eight. <laughs> You just turn into psychos, all of them, because of who she hangs out with. It's because I, I go in with open heart. You know what? It bites me always, but I can't change The it. thing is, Karima, though, don't stop it, because no. we need more people like you. We need more people on the planet like Al- Alyssa, right? Where she goes into a situation where she's trying to find something redeemable about the unredeemable and trying to figure out why they got on the path that they got to. And she's trying to look underneath the hood to see if there's something she can do to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And there's not enough. And it takes courage. Those people like you and our guest who just, I'm still fucking rattled by the whole thing. They're, that That's the, the essence of courage and strength in character. Because... You can't win. She's getting beat up by all sides, right? Because she's uncovered something that we all, in deep down in our souls, we all know that the system's rigged, that everything we do, no matter how we do it, it's it's working against us. And we got to cling to the good ones, right? The ones that are actually out there that are actually doing it for the right reasons. And unfortunately, that is, it seems to me, getting harder and harder to find those people. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I have moments where I'm like, like I walk away from some of these podcasts where we have guests like this and I'm going, is there a fucking point? Like why to, like, bother? I'm just going to stay in my fucking house. Yeah, like I'm never going to leave. Like I, you know, I'm never going to trust anybody any ever again, but then I don't know. There's, there's gotta be more to it. There's gotta be more to life. It, it was funny. She mentioned something, and I and I think 
because I've seen this over the years and I've commented on it a couple of times. These people, this this grant that she was referring to, ended up getting put into that position because he showed signs of and traits of the type of person they needed to put in that role. Mm-hmm. And we see that, and she said, we see this in other organizations. Yes, we do. We see it all the time. I don't care where you work right now. Somebody was put in a position of authority because they were a cock, and they knew that they could put them in there to deal with that with shit that they didn't want to deal with. And we're still, we still live in that world. These people still get power based on their ability to be dicks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like it, you don't get, and that's unfortunate because that just proves the, 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 the point that nice guys finished last like that. I don't, I've never wanted to believe that, but mm-hmm. Ultimately, being a good person at the end of the day sometimes works against you. Quite often, it does. You guys readers? Do you read? Like I'm read. a big reader. No, as long not. as it's an audio audiobook. Book. Yeah, I know. I know. That counts. That counts. Um, I would highly encourage you to read a book by one of my favorite authors. I have a few. Named Robert Greene. No, Lachlan. Not a sto- uh, is he a practicing stoic? He might be. He might be into stoicism. Yeah, is I he a half half shit in a cup? Is it half full? No, cup? no, not okay. at all. Robert, what? He's written books. One of my favorite books that's ever been written is called The 48 Laws of Power. Now, The 48 Laws of Power is basically the dark arts of how to be successful. Um, but it's be not dick. dark arts. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, it amplifies some types of deceit. It amplifies the truth. It amplifies uh, hiding certain intentions from people. I mean, it's all about how you get a leg up. Now, Robert Greene's a tremendous, he's a philosopher, he's a tremendous writer, but he 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 taps into some like pretty secretive, pretty cool psyop stuff that you can do on a daily basis in your life to become more successful, where it's like a cognitive thing. You think about, okay, if I don't tell this person what my intentions are, I use it in meetings all the time. Where I go into an M&A meeting and I'm sitting there like we had one this week. Uh, some people were maybe coming on board and we're sitting there talking. I didn't say a word for like the first 20 minutes because I'm like, dark arts, Robert Green. People with the most to say have the least to say. Uh, and I wanted them to come. I have an inability to it, do that. It totally works. I know you do. It totally works. It totally works. And so there's, you know... It's easy to say only good people, good, bad things happen to good people, and it doesn't pay to be a good person. It always pays to be a good person. It always pays to be a good individual, tell the truth, do what's right for better people, to be of good character and acts for the common good. But when you're up against this kind of shit, that's what the dark arts are for. And two people can play, two groups can play, an entire country can play. But I'm telling you, everybody should read that book today. And once you get through it, go like this. Oh, that's how those guys got everything and why mm-hmm. I got nothing or why there are so many people out here that are that are under the, the disparity of wealth and poor people that, you know, it's because there are people out there that read. And unfortunately, a lot of those people read stuff like this where they're like, now I'm going to fuck over the world. And they do. Case in point, Elon Musk, one of his favorite books, not only his favorite book, but the, the Teal guys and the PayPal guys, they all read about this kind of stuff. But they mm. go all the way in with the dark arts and they forget mm. about the good parts, right? Whereas this government, they try to make it look like Kareem. And you, you know, I know this. 
every government yes. tries to make it look like they're your friend. They're here Thank to help you. you. But you wouldn't believe if you pull back that curtain in Oz, you, you, you'd be shocked. Mm-hmm. This is this is about how to get you. It's not about how to help you. It's how to get you. And it's always been the case, has it not? Hasn't that always been the case? To varying degrees, I think so. Um, but I don't know that we need to be that pessimistic about it. Um, yes, we do. suck on that well but i'm not pessimistic like i'm a pretty happy guy like i I don't care if pierre polyev magically ascends to the throne of canada's ministerial seat tomorrow Uh, my life isn't going to change but i i I am still going to be very cautiously aware of the government i'm very cautiously aware of people who have immense power and try to tell us that what we're going to get is going to taste really good don't worry about it never tastes good tastes like shit all the fucking time can I can I just add to it? Yeah. I I think I think you're right. And 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 again, I tend to joke about these things because I I, I need to because I I need to be able to go to bed at night. Um, but I think the older I get, the more focused I am on 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 how to how to not only be comfortable with with who I am, but also not be that cynical like i have been a very cynical dick my whole life so that that's my default position is cynicism to question everything you're ready well and but the thing is i am i'm at a point now where i'm actually trying i and i swear to god i am trying to find the good in in people i am i'm trying to figure out how to manipulate situations that I get myself into from the perspective of you can be truthful, you can be a decent person and you can pull that out of a situation. And, and that's that I think that I think isn't done enough individually. And I also think the other side of it is, is that we tend to, because we all we all put our flagpoles up in, in different camps and I do it. I, every once in a while I catch myself doing it, put the flagpole in and then, I, and then I'm, I'm firmly on this side of things. Right. Depends Whereas, what dinner party you're at. Right. Like it's like, Hey, is it most of the people you're vaccinated? I'll be vaccinated. You go to a dinner party. You're all right. Hey, guess what? I'm all right today too. Yeah. Fuck. The no, no, can, can I, can I use a different example? One yeah. that's more fitting for, mm-hmm. especially for Alberta. Like, listen, I, I think we we need to we need to be very concerned about who takes over the the province, mm-hmm. right? But I I think we need to be concerned if the NDP wins, and I think we need to be concerned if the UCP wins. And and for those people, like that, the frustrating thing for me is, I think Daniel Smith is actually going to win this next election because of how the the fire she's stoking. The, the frustrating thing about it is you can't have a conversation with the people that think that she is right. Right. Like it's not rational based. Have, yeah. It's not, yeah. it's not evidence-based. It's all emotion. No, it, it's all emotion. emotion. And the thing is like, so you get frustrated when you, when you want to wave the, Hey, she might not be in it for your best intentions, Terry. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like you should dig into this one 
and think about this before you just blindly support some woman who's trying to pass the nat the sovereignty of a uh, Alberta of a <laughs> national Canada act. <laughs> Which, by the way, every time I hear that out loud, I just it brings me joy that that's the title of the bill. Yeah. In a United a, I'll tell you what, like the combination of extremism in Alberta is such a great example. In Canada, like in, in Ontario, we have it too. We're run by a conservative extremist panel of losers, but they make it look like they care, right? Like they 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 give us they this don't. like, oh, they don't care. No, no, they don't care. But in Alberta, I give her full marks, Karima. Like that is crazy on display 24-7. And she's like, well, I don't understand what the problem is. On her sleeves, like right there, just for the whole world to see. It's awesome. Take me as I am, or not at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, kind of I mean, we, we joked that way. the one that was going to win the UCP party when they announced that Jason Kenney was getting ousted for not being crazy enough. We we basically, we were we were counting the number of times somebody said freedom. And we're like, that one's going to win. And Danielle Smith said freedom the most. And she won. Oh, yeah. And now she's carrying that. She's riding that horse into spring 2023. Do you see? <laughs> and she's getting people on board. She's in a, on the wagon. A drug, she's in a drugstore today, and they're because t- because like I don't know if you guys know anything about hospitals in, in conservative-run provinces, specifically Ontario, which asks the Red Cross to come in to help with pediatric. Uh, a good uh, sign. Facilitating pediatric kids in the hospital, very sick, dying children. So it was like coming. Like we literally grabbed the people we send over to deal with refugee crises after floods in Indonesia happened. Like that's yeah. what we're using in Ottawa because Doug a Ford, volcano. We're sending we the Red Cross, we're sending the volcano team to, to the kids are running hospital. away from lava. We yeah. send the Red Cross. No, yeah. they're in Ontario in a fucking yeah. hospital right now. Same thing with Alberta. They got echo trailers and they canceled the, uh, I believe the flames palliative care they're literally pulling the plug on the sickest kids in alberta yeah. uh to care for kids that have a better chance of living because again um this is the culmination of it this is the culmination mm-hmm. of people not telling the truth it's mm-hmm. the culmination of people deciding to be selfish this is the culmination of pure unadulterated conspiratorial bullshit and fuck who pays the price today children across canada so stuck well, on that. And and then the other thing is, yeah, you like there's it's very layered, right? Like I I think that there needs to be something done about um the the structure of the of the healthcare system in this country, and I I think that we need to lift the lid on that. But I I don't trust the conservatives to do it. I I don't trust the liberals to do it. I, like something's wrong. Our our healthcare system is broken and. For some reason, every time you have that conversation, you have to you have to take up a political mantle, and 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 it, it it's getting in the way of of fixing the situation. All we're doing is clouding the whole thing with the fact that you know um, we're siding with the left or the right, depending on 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 your your you know your your viewpoint. Right? It's fucking the healthcare system. Do we take pride in that as Canadians? Absolutely. And let's get the fucking politics out of it. We've, we've just buried the whole thing in politics. And now I, I don't know if we're ever going to get to the bottom of what the issue is. This no. system was broken before COVID. It oh, was. What, the healthcare or the political system? Both. Hey, Both. The healthcare system was yeah. fucking broken before yeah. COVID hit. Yeah. And it was on a lifeline before COVID. Mm-hmm. And now we're fucking, we're, we're, we're sunk. 
and I don't know what the answer is, but the people that are in charge of it are not making the right decisions. No, on both sides, because Welcome this is Canada. across the country. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not just you know, Alberta and Ontario. It's across the fucking country. We're having problems with the healthcare system. Um, what a wonderful show. <laughs> that was remarkable. My favorite part is how we always end on a positive note. All right, I'm going to end on a positive note. <laughs> I will. I, I promised I would because this was this was the greatest video I've ever seen. <laughs> and I want to end with this. Now, this upset a friend of mine. Uh, and, and Is this I get that it. guy being run over by the yeah. ambulance? Yeah, yeah. Okay, what? all right. I don't know if I should be watching this because well, I'm going to put it in there and see if you like it. I don't know if you Karima, we're ending on a positive. We're ending on a positive <laughs> note. Talking okay. healthcare. Now yeah, we're going to show a video of a guy being run over by an ambulance. Which Locke tweeted yesterday. He goes, I can't believe I'm laughing at this. Um, I don't know if this is funny or not. No, I don't know. <laughs> Have you seen this video? No, I don't know at all what to expect except for well, what came out of your mouth. You you know me. You know I'm never going to hijack you in the middle of these shows, right? You know I'm not going to put you in harm's way. This happened in a park in London, England a couple days ago. There's a gentleman walking through the park. Police, uh, sorry, paramedics were apparently called to come to the park to deal with a separate issue. Now, I want you to watch very carefully, okay? And this, it, a friend of mine phoned me today, and she's like, oh, my God, if you're going to fucking play that, make sure you give people a graphic warning. It's not really that graphic. Guy gets up and kind of walks away from it, I guess. But if you're a paramedic, he had is, a is, this, <laughs> is, this, is this a sign you shouldn't be a paramedic, maybe? All three of these people. And by the way, thank God they're all wearing masks. Let's watch this together. There you go. Guy stops old guy in a park. Here comes the ambulance. Guy's like, boom, there you go. He goes down. They pull right over him. They back right up because they're trying to get to the entrance of the door. So the ambulance creates their own patient. They all get out with masks on, as you can see. And they're like, why is he not concerned about the person? Well, they don't know yet that they've run him over by backing up over the guy. And then, oh my God, the woman now knows. (laughs) Just casually. (laughs) She's going to get the dryer. And then she's like, oh my God, Tony, look what we did. And Tony's like, holy fuck. And then he calls Terry. Terry comes out and he's like, holy fuck, we did run over a guy. I like they're trying to pull him out. No, no, you're the the wheel is still on my leg. I feel so bad for that. Anyway, gen- the gentleman in question is an elderly man. He is fine. He was treated at a hospital and released. But look at them. They're pulling him out. And then what they do, they pull the car ahead like four feet where they're like, is it off the guy? Yeah, it's off the guy. But that is, I, I, it's got tens of thousands of views. I put it up late yesterday. And the reaction that this caused among people was crazy. They were like, take that down. And I'm like, I don't think so. It's viral now. It's staying up. <laughs> Get to, yeah, tethered to one's values. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I watched that. Thank I don't know why. I I felt bad immediately for laughing as hard as I did. I, I did. did too. Yeah. Anyway, great to see you, Karima. Thanks for doing this. <laughs> see you next Bye, week. Guys. Okay, buddy. We'll have you back on our next painting episode. Yeah. 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 Make sure you get your Bob Ross. That should be a holiday special. Can we do a holiday special painting episode? A little painting where we where we never raise our voices. We just talk like Bob Ross the whole time. I would love that. (laughs) That's skip the dishes ad where they got the the Bob Ross guy impersonated. Surprised they haven't been sued. Very funny. 
Yeah. Have you seen the Bob Ross documentary, by the way? No. Have you guys I watched it on Netflix? Be able to watch that. Oh, it's the best show you'll ever watch. It's the best documentary <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Bob Ross, he was down to fuck. This guy loved bang. He was what? like, yeah, oh yeah, dude, this guy was incredible. Like yeah, Bob Ross, took you a see turn. <laughs> yeah, he was like a he was like a Navy SEAL or he's in the military or something. Comes back, he and his wife split up. He gets he lives with his son and he starts he starts getting it on with some of his some of his painting clients. One of them's like, hey, my Get husband and I'll support. Oh yeah, One, my yeah, husband and I'll support your your company and we'll help you grow your company. Just sign this weird piece of paper. He's like, yeah, no problem. So they grow it to this big thing. Bob Ross is on. And, and anyway, Bob gets up. Bob loves to get in there with the ladies too, and it's just a, a tremendous story where Bob was like, I don't want to fight, so I'll just give them the. Co-. So Bob's on his deathbed, signs the his rights, his name, his face, everything over to this lady and her husband, everything screws Bob Ross's kid out of everything. And these people sue everybody. So I'm shocked that Skip the Dishes is allowed to use his, like a likeness of a Bob Ross kind of guy. But I highly recommend you watch the Bob Ross documentary. It's fucking awesome. If you love Bob you Ross. You said that was on. Bob. I got a lot of oh, yeah. a lot of stuff to do here. I got to read a book. Yeah. I'll watch You're a YouTube video about a watch failed stripping comedian. <laughs> Strip house comedian. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Kareem. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Take Bye. care, Kareem. Kareem Asad, ladies and gentlemen, lawyer, activist, gonzo journalist, at Kareem, at Kareem Rules on Twitter, and sadvocacy.com is the name of her website. She's awesome. That was very interesting. Wasn't it great? I, you know what I liked about it is, like, I was just asking questions. I just wanted to know answers about certain things because it all ties into the shit today, right? So arm yourself with great information. Talk to people who've been there before. That's what we just did today. Thanks for doing this, dude. Thank you for having me. Yeah. That's a lot welcome. to digest that one. <laughs> well, feel comfortable picking up the phone and sending emails tonight. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know I won't. Okay, be. brother. Talk to you soon. Lock and cross 957 cruise FM dot cruise FM dot CA, I believe is the name of the website. Yeah. Morning show host. 957 Cruise FM. Edmonton, Alberta. Maybe the best rock station in the country. For sure the best rock morning show in the country. And if you don't have one of those in your town, I highly recommend you go online, 957cruisefm.ca. Have a listen every weekday morning. Him, Grant, Jimmy, wonderful job. Very funny. Thanks, everybody. Thanks to Elisa for being here. Thanks to Karima for being here, too. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? You get in, you get out, you ask a few questions, shake a few trees, make a few people nervous. I like that. I uh, appreciate you being here. And thanks to our friends and sponsors at Cantor, cantor.com. Listen, these guys do something not many people do. They're Canada's assembly tool experts. What does that mean? They make torque wrenches, the best in the business, beautiful ones, hardworking, rugged, Canada's leading industrial tool experts, offering you the very best in sales service, rentals, calibration, maintenance, and custom fabrication of industrial torque tools, no matter the scale of your bolting project. These guys have your solution. You go to cantor.com to get it. Colin Livingston and his group of Edmontonians, lovely Canadian people, brought all their manufacturing back to Canada from overseas over the past couple of years because this is a Canadian company that services Canada and the world. So all you need to do if you're looking for a fastener, loosener, a solution in that industrial torque tool expert assembly region, just go to cantorque.com. That's all you got to do. Peruse. They do everything. They're incredible and they're Canadian. Thanks to Edit Ed's Fine Imports as well. We wear as Gitch, you can too. G I T C H. That's your promo code, G I T C H 3. 
Uh, order three pairs. You get a fourth pair for free. Lots of colors. Breathable boxer briefs. Pouch in the front. I swear to God, the last pair of underwear you will ever buy in your entire life. They come from Gitch at edsfineimports.com. Canadian-made underwear for Canadian dudes. Go there today and order online. Get your free pair with that promo code, too. Tell them I said hi. Sign up for a newsletter, too. We get an extra 15% off your purchase. Edsfineimports.com. Clothing for men and boys. And, uh, of course, our friends over at kivlaw.ca. Listen, uh, you in a legal jackpot? You in a bit of a bind? You got something going on? You need a great defense lawyer like Southern Ontario's best team of defense attorneys? Kivlaw.ca. Today, don't run. Don't walk, run. That's what I meant. Don't walk, run. Email Robert yourself, the principal at kivlaw.ca, and let him know what your issue is and let him call you back and let him help you. These guys hold your hand through a process, keep you as free as possible, help you understand what you're going through and not only understand it, but help you learn from it and get better for it. Listen, you don't want to do any time. You don't want to do anything that you're not supposed to be doing. You don't want to get treated poorly by the legal system. It happens. You need someone that holds your hand through it. These are the best people in Southern Ontario. Kivla.ca. Email Robert today. Robert at Kivla.ca. Sign up for a newsletter at DeanBlundell.com as well. That'd be great. Make sure you subscribe to all of the things we do. Twitter, at it's Dean Blundell, DeanBlundell.net. Also, you can get us on Instagram. You can get us on Facebook. You can get us on YouTube, Dean Blundell Show. You can watch the whole thing live. Could have seen Elisa waxing about neo-Nazism in the 90s. You missed it. You can also get us with audio. Go, sorry, Dean Blundell Show on YouTube, Dean Blundell TV on Twitter. All the audio, Google, Spotify, etc. Please rate and subscribe. Have a great day. Great night. See you tomorrow.
I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 